Welcome to episode 70 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast, proudly brought to you by H Parsons Funeral Directors, an Australian family owned and operated funeral director, serving the Illawarra since 1893. Firstly, I'd like to sincerely thank all of the interviewees, listeners and the football community of the Illawarra, Australia and elsewhere around the world who download this podcast. Additionally, I'd like to say thank you to the tremendous people who contribute, comment and reminisce on the social media pages. Steve Machewski is our interviewee in episode 70. Steve grew up playing junior soccer with Rurilla Wanderers and Shell Harbour Workers Junior Soccer Clubs in the early 1980s through to the mid-1980s. During this time, Steve was immersing himself in local football at different levels and this led to his passion for the game. We discussed Steve's senior career as a player and as a coach across many wonderful Illawarra clubs from the mid-1980s through to today. Steve has experienced the ups and downs of football, but has always applied himself in a positive way. This can be heard in regards to his experiences at All Fab Shell Harbour, Kiama, Kringilla Lions, Kemblawarra, Albion Park White Eagles, Wollongong United and Rurilla Wanderers. Steve has developed lifelong relationships in his time with football, and this says a lot about the man. In regards to his successes, he is humble and acknowledges those around him. I thoroughly enjoyed going through Steve's time in Illawarra football and him recalling his footballing life, and for me, it was a delight. I sincerely thank and appreciate the time Steve took in recording this episode. Please enjoy episode 70. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in the lovely surrounds of Flinders and I'm here with my very, very special guest that I've been waiting a while to interview and I've got Steve Machewski. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Travis. Uh, welcome to you in, in Flinders. Uh, we'll get uh, straight to the beginning. You were born in, in 71. You started playing organised soccer with Rurilla Wanderers Junior Soccer Club in 80 and 81. Uh, what do you recall of those times with Rurilla Wanderers? Oh, yeah, it was a long time ago, but um, I remember it was, it was my first go at organised football. I'd been wanting to play for a few years, and Dad was always busy working shift work, being a you know, migrant coming and working in the steelworks and trying to you know, put a roof over our head. But, um, yeah, look, it was a great time. Um, ended up playing, I think it was uh, the 10, under 9s or 10Bs, and, um, yeah, some... Some good characters, some good guys that I still see around around the place that probably haven't played soccer. But yeah, I played on the wing actually, so um, which was good. I think I got a few goals, and um, yeah, it was, it was good times. It's just good to go down to training and and, and play. Mr. Wilkinson was our coach. Um, his son Ian played in our team, and um, I don't think we did that well, but we did okay, you know. But yeah, our A team had guys like Minnie Bonatig in it and stuff, so um, it shows probably how good we were. But look, it was fun. It was just good days. And for yourself, you're out in the field at that point, mm-hmm. not in, in between the sticks. Mm-hmm. So uh, you liked being an outfield player at that point and that's what you wanted to play initially? Yes, yes. I mean, having watched Dad, I mean, my first sort of 
understanding of soccer in a game. I used to watch Dad play in the Steelworks comp there out opposite Crinney Pub on that corner. Yeah. Yeah, there was a soccer field then. I remember um, Dad was sort of like the strip organiser and everything and his um, department in BHP played. So I used to watch him and Dad played up top and I thought, you know, and an uncle of mine that played at um, the old EPT he was a striker. So I thought, you know, I wanted to sort of emulate them and yeah, sort of went all, all right, but I was never really a fit kid and, you know, uh, look, I still enjoyed playing outfield. I did it later when I retired. Um, you know, all goalkeepers think they're strikers. So <laughs> I think, you know, at the end of the day, it was um, it was good. It was it was fun playing outfield. I, I enjoyed it. And that was my first thought of, you know, I want to be these strikers or a winger and score goals and, you know, the glory, I guess. And for yourself, uh, was it Morley Park that Rarilla played? And Yes. And uh, they, were they playing in red and white at that point as well? Yeah, all, all white with their um, little red trim. Um, you know, they, they, they were... Obviously, looking back at the jerseys, they were, they were retro jerseys. I think they were pretty heavy. Um, I remember those days, they always used to keep the jerseys in those um, brown cases, yes. wooden cases, you know. <laughs> and they all had smelts on mothballs, you know. <laughs> but um, I remember that. I remember the smell of mothballs on the shirt. But yeah, look, it was, it was white and red. Morley Park, actually, you know, full circle. Um, you know, we're all the Wanderers Senior Club. We've played our last two home games on the same <laughs> field that I played as a junior. So... Uh, it was, yeah, good good times. The, the park hasn't changed. We were only talking about it the other day, a few guys reminiscing, going, the goals were further back. No, they were here. And then we all came to the conclusion that the goals haven't moved. We've just gotten bigger. That's all. <laughs> so. Gala days back then were, were pretty big. Uh, did you get to participate in them? And, and what are your memories of Gala Day? The, yeah, the, the big one, you'd probably like this, is that Balgani had, um, used to run a really big Gala Day. Obviously, had the fields out there. So it was, um, it was quite good, you know, we had to line up and, you know, with our club flags and banners and, you know, represent the club. Oh, you know, it was, it was a great day. I think it, as a kid, you got game after game and, you know, you want to you keep playing. You, parents everywhere, you know, and um, it was great. You know, I think disappointing part was to lose by a corner or a shy or, you know, something <laughs> like true. that. But, um, you know, I think it evened everybody up, you know, A's and B's and whatever it was. It, it, you know, if you knock over a, an A team, it was like, you know, a real big result for the team, but look, look, they were good. They were good fun days, or um, you know, gala days and junior soccer, but especially gala days. You get to play a lot of games. Eighty-two to eighty-six, you uh, joined Shell Harbour Workers Junior Soccer Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, what brought about that change, and, and what do you recall of your time with Shell Harbour? Basically, a couple of mates that I was like hanging around. We were playing at Shell Harbour, so I just, you know, I lived. Um, sort of on Lake Entrance Road, but on the Barrett-Kite side. So it was, um, rather than crossing a main road on my push bike, um, I think, you know, mum and dad thought it was a bit safer for me to go this way and play with my mates. So yeah, just, you know, I just moved over to Shell Harbour. There's familiar faces there. Um, yeah, I um, ended up being goalkeeper yeah, just out of default. We didn't have a goalkeeper and I was a bit of, bit of a larrikin or, you know, probably still am sometimes. But um, look, if we... I played in goals, I was doing shooting or something at training. I yep. just said, I'll go in goals and, you know, was diving around. And, you know, as a kid, you like to throw yourself around. And I think it, until we found a goalkeeper, the coach said, you're going to stay in goals until we can get a goalkeeper. And I didn't mind that. And yeah. I, I think my dad didn't like it. He, <laughs> he thought, you know, this my son was going to be a striker. Now he's gone into goals. You're not a soccer player type of thing. But look, for, for, for me, it was um, good memories. Actually, I was um, good playing with mates. And uh, what were their colour of their junior strip at that point in time, and where did they play? Um, we played at Barracoids Oval, um, and the, the strip was blue and white. It was like an old Sheffield Wednesday type okay. of style. Yeah. 
Uh, again, you know, they were the, um, or probably in fashion now, they were that, the tight sort of like a nylon type of um, material. <laughs> you know, nothing that breathes or anything like that, but yeah. it was more about warmth. And I remember we had long sleeves. Wow. Yeah, the long sleeves um, we had um, like one of the years, and then uh, I think they went to short sleeve once we got a sponsor the year after or something like that. So um, they're quite retro, but yeah, look, um, you know, that's what you wore those days. And during these uh, five odd years, uh, coaches, players that you you recall playing with? From coaches, I mean, our coaches were basketball coaches actually because their boys played in the team. So I think they were learning how to coach. It was just parents that sort of took on the job. You know, I don't think there was any qualifications. Oh, look, they, you know, credit to them, they got probably a bunch of reality boys together and, and, and got us playing. We we actually did well towards the end. We started winning, um, you know, comps. I think our biggest rivals were Lake Heights at the time, um, who just sort of formed and had um, really strong Macedonian contingent of, and you know, really some really good players. And, you know, we had a couple of boys, you know, um, once people started sort of migrating over to these southern suburbs and yeah. the, um, that came into the team that were quite handy, but... Yeah, I think, you know, in juniors in those years, I think we won a grand final and might have won a competition as well. I was trying to find my old trophies, but I don't know where they are, <laughs> mate. But yeah, uh, look, it was it was good times. And, and the other thing was um, we started then watching the seniors or, you know, sort of got to see the seniors play and train, um, which was great because I ended up being ball boy, I think, you know, um, around those times with my mate. Um, I remember the seniors used to have Wednesday night knockouts, um, you know, so it introduced you then to... Oh well, like he can aspire to go to this senior club, which was something that interested me. I thought, oh well, I could end up playing here one day in this in, yeah, in this first team. And and what, do you recall any players that stood out for you from the Shell Harbour Senior Club? Because I think they were sort of coming into a period where they were strong in the late seventies, early eighties with John Bingham and the like. And then once he moved on, they were still in the the top league. So uh, do you recall any players that stood out from memory? Oh, yeah. I remember um, John Bingham playing there. I mean, Barney King um, played there, you know, he scored some goals. Barry Robinson, um, you know, this guy, you know, Jeff Crowell, you know, not to me, but he was, you know, I used to sit there when I was in youth grade at the time um, on, on the bench and, 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 and watching play. But um, in those early days, you know, there was a lot of guys. Scotty Fowler, who I'm working with at, Sh- at Shalabi, he'd come through. Um, you know, you got uh, Wayne Barrett, Craig Masons, and the other guys, and then you got you know goalkeeper Tony Markowski, Jeff Robinson. There was a lot of um, a lot of guys. Paul Keating. There's a lot of guys um, that, that that played, and I think you know they were all from the local area, so yeah. most of them were mates, and it was it was it was good to see. It was really good culture. And prior to moving on to your senior career, mm-hmm. um, uh, talk a bit more about um, yourself as a boy and then as a teenager uh, watching football. You, yep. you spoke of your dad and yep. the Inter Steelworks competition and, and watching your uncle play with EBT. What do you recall about those and, and in any other clubs you watched? Well, look, you know, watching dad and look, I just, it was enjoyable watching soccer because up until then I'd have been watching it on television um, with dad on ABC so I've become a Liverpool supporter because dad watched Liverpool and they were winning in those years so um, but yeah look watching organised soccer in life in real life was you know like a a bit of a thrill then um, for me and then I think you know moving on from that I was a big Wollong United or Wollong Macedonia fan back in the days dad used to go you know like all Macedonian dads at the time go down to Berkeley um, sports ground there yeah. and probably have a couple of schooners in the club is you always <laughs> used to drop me off at the gate and go my uncle he goes I'll be back in just before um, the whistle starts and leave him for a couple of dollars to get some <laughs> some refreshments but it was great because it was um, 
yeah, good good football. There's a good crowd, yeah, a lot yeah, of definitely. lot of kids. We used to, you know, bring a ball, have a little organised or a little game at the back behind the goals, celebrate the victory. So and that went on. I watched Wimbledon United for a lot of years and you know, watched guys like, you know, Harry Sutton play, you know, and plus these guys just back there at Shalama, I mean Barry Robbo, Barney King played there, Jeff Robbo. Um, you know, watch goalkeepers like Peter Tuziowski play, who was, you know, again, you know, him and Tony Markowski were probably two guys and Jeff that I sort of looked up to as goalkeepers, or three, three of them. Um, yeah, you know, Chris Teleski, the centre-half. Um, they Watching and Bingham when he was coaching, you know, Bingham had that one trick, beautiful left foot on a Barney's head or, or Barry's head, and, you know, nine times out of ten it would be a goal, you know. <laughs> he just had a beautiful delivery on him. Um, you know, watching Mike Johnson, I remember the first time... Actually, I don't think I studied a coach, but I, I think he was quite animated and quite loud and quite passionate. Yeah. And I, remember, I, I don't know for a funny reason, it always sort of stuck with me watching Mike Johnson. I remember being near the dugout once with Dad, close to the dugout, just you know, seeing what he was doing and how he was you know, talking to his players. I remember a few years after that, talking to guys like Chris Teleski um, when I first started coaching. And you know, I know Chris, and he said that you know, Mike Johnson was a very good coach, very hard and all that stuff. So... Yeah, I don't know why, but it was just sort of, you know, I hung out there and he drew me in with his passion. Well, definitely a, a wide array of football at that time. Like you said, mm. you, you're watching Steelworks, Interclub, sort of, or department yeah. competition, EPT, yeah. a bit of Shell Harbour and a bit of Wollongong United. Mm. So you're covering all bases yeah. in the Illawarra, which yeah. shows the strength in the area. Uh, in 86, while you're still playing juniors, uh, you had a few youth grade games with all fabs Shell Harbour, which yep. were who were in the IPL. What do you remember of your senior debut at, at that age? Um, what did your parents think? Because a goalkeeper um, in those times was it was an important position, mm. but they weren't uh, as protected as they no. are now. So, what was the feeling of that, and the feeling of your parents? Um, yeah, I'm just trying to recall. I remember. I think I, you know. Told Dad, Mum really wasn't, um, you know. I think she might have just said, "Well done." Um, for me, I, th- I think it was a necessity. I think the youth grade keeper got injured. Yeah. I think it was I was part of the, the 16s and 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 showing some promise, I guess. And um, so yeah, got the opportunity. Very ner- nervous, um, considering a lot of the guys weren't. They were like you know 18, 19, 20. Yeah. You know, growth. You know, big hairy legs, big sort of stronger guys. You know, and you think, oh, am I going to be able to handle it? But I think what it did help playing those games helped me when I came back to the 16s because I wasn't as overawed then and, and yep. probably had a, a better season with, with my team because I could sort of handle the bigger boys, if, if that makes sense. And so was it then in 87 when you joined All Fab Shell Harbour um, in the IPL youth grade? Was it a pretty easy decision then that you were just transferring from the junior to senior club? Yes, yes. And I always believed that that was the pathway at the time and that was the doorway that was open to you as a player and you know for me um, I remember dad saying I think you know one of the years Daryl Glover was the Illawarra coach had picked me I got selected to go for Illawarra trials and dad was like you know I'm, I'm a shift worker I'm not going to take you out to <laughs> Balgowny to guest park to train yep. um, play with your local team you know I could ride my push bike down right so for me it was easy I didn't yeah. have a vehicle and my high school was right next door, and so it all sort of, you know, fitted in as part of the community, and, you know. And, and for us, it was that pathway going into the seniors. You, as a 16 or as a junior, you, I don't know, I strive to say, well, I want to play first grade here, and, yep. and that was my sort of view. And that first year in, in senior football, um, what do you recall of, I guess, the coach and, 
and you know playing youth grade your teammates and and playing a handful of reserve grade games yeah oh look it was um it was it was good i think one of the, the coaches that did make an impression from the way he set up his coaching session and what he taught us was dick evans yep he came to shalaba and he um I think he's relatively unknown, um, sort of in the local circles, but you know he's an Englishman. But I know he did a bit, a bit of football. Yeah, but he, he set us up our know, structures and stuff. Uh, it was good, so it was good to have some a good coach to show you what you didn't know. Um, so yeah, I look, and, and a lot of the guys, you know, you know, look at the names. You know, not a lot of them went on to play, but there were guys that I went to school with and um, that I still see around a few of them and say good day. But look, they're all. Again, local boys who you know just played together as mates. And, and I think you had a you know your eighth out of twelve team competition, mm. so you weren't up the top, but no. still competitive nonetheless. But that was us at Shell Harbour. I don't think we were ever uh, winning a lot of titles, but we we were very competitive, and you know it was a local talent, and we weren't you know I think money wasn't around then. You you, know, you, you, you didn't see a lot of players from North or from other clubs coming over. Um, you know, for, for no reason. So so for us, it was like, yeah, we had the best of what we can have in our local area. Could we have achieved more? Yes. I mean, I think our, our seniors were, were quite strong one year and um, or for a few years. But yeah, it was um, just local boys having a go. And what about, um, although as a younger bloke, you might not have interacted with them um, too much initially, but what about officials like Ken Hope and, and Otto Bader, who's oh. synonymous in Illawarra football... Tell us a, a bit about if you had any interaction with those guys. I did, I did. Bob Hope, we called him Bob, um, because obviously, yeah. <laughs> or the comedian Bob Hope, lovely man, great, um, great sort of um, administrator and president. Um, he, he kept the club going, always had a smile on his face, was always you know, happy to see you and happy to greet you. Yeah. Um, Otto, love, lovely guy, uh, miss him dearly. You know, he was, for me... A legend, a true legend of the game. For me, he coached me, the goalkeepers, and I was 16, he was coaching me one of those leather medicine balls. You know, wow. I'm talking about it like a 10 kilo thing, you know, <laughs> and he'd drop it above your head and say, you've got to catch it, otherwise you don't, it's going to hit you in the face. So I, I think a couple would squash my nose and say, you know, in, in true German style, we'll say, you know, come on, it's not good enough, you know, <laughs> and we'll throw these balls as hard as he can. But I found out later he was a handball goalkeeper in Germany. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, he knew to do some goalkeeper training. So it was very, um, very German-like, you yeah. know, without, without being derogatory to any, any, any nationality. But it was very, um, you know, you must work hard, you must get fit, you must get strong, you know, and all that stuff, And which was okay. It was probably needed that. It was more that discipline type of, you know, rather than a skill thing. Yeah. Um, so it was, he was great. He was really good. And I always remember we, we always quip about it when I, um, I hear people go, oh, you know, can you get off the ground? He was, um, he had his way of going, get off the ground over the PA, you know, get out of the gold mouth, you civilians. You know? <laughs> so he was, he was a great man, really good for the, um, for the club. He was always doing stuff. Um, he, you know, from marking lines to sweeping sheds. He was just one of those club people that was, um, yeah. and, and writing little snippets for the late times. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And for yourself, um, how, being a goalkeeper, it's slightly different in the sense that you're trained together or do training away from mm. the main the main group. So uh, how did you interact with the other senior keepers and, and who were they yeah. in, in that time with Shell Harbour and, and what did you learn off them? Oh, look, Tony Markoski um, ended up taking me under his wing and we're still mates today, you know, and, um, you know, he, 
you know, he took a took a liking to me, helped me out. We trained. We'd go down there on um, the days when training wasn't on, and you know, he we'd go down the barricades over with the ball, and you know, he'd teach me a few things. And Tony wasn't the the tallest of keepers, but very good hands, very good skill. Um, I think he did play, you know, a lot of high level at um, school football. But look, he helped me. He helped me a lot um, in terms of you know mentoring me, um, which was great. Um, so. You know, which, you know, in later years he was playing first grade, hard for me to get in there because, you know, so many good keepers. Him and Jeff Robinson is another one. You know, Jeff was another one, you know, would talk to you and, you know, was always very approachable. So they were two very good goalkeepers at Shell Harbour, which probably, you know, stopped me from playing first grade a bit earlier. But, you know, I didn't mind either, so. And uh, at that time, still playing a Barrack Heights Oval there, and, and was it still a white and blue sort of strip, or, or what did they play in the seniors? Oh, it was the yellow and brown and the brown and yellow. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I reckon if you can find those strips, man, they'll they're, they're quite they're quite funny. I remember um, when we looked at it after being blue and white, sort of all fabs, you know. It's going to be all fab schlam. I remember they brought out the jerseys and I was like, oh, really? It's, um, oh, look, I guess, it, you know, sponsorship and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, yeah, bright, the bright yellow or more of an orangey sort of deeper yellow and brown with the uh, wake hit, the dark brown and, and the yellow. So, uh, yeah, I think that's been retired for good. During your time there, which was 86 to, to 91, um, uh, youth grade, some reserve grade. Did you ever get a chance in first grade? I did. I did get a f- few chances in first grade. What do you was, recall of your debut? I remember being nervous, but one of my mates um, at the time, Tony Sekolos, he was playing at fullback. And I think um, I actually um, came out for a ball and, and I hit, heard, a, heard a striker, but not intentionally. We just ran into each other. <laughs> he sort of backed out the last minute, Tony, and left the ball and we just collided. I remember <laughs> that. And he came off second best, so... After that, I was like, oh, okay, uh, I could probably handle this a bit. But look, oh, I was never as good as those other two keepers, and I probably put it, should have worked more at my fitness and stuff. But look, it was just good for me to come from a junior club and play first grade. It was sort of like a bit of a pinnacle for me at the time. Yeah. I thought, wow, you know, I was only like, I think, 19 um, or 20 at the time. So, you know, for, it was quite young, and just to have that opportunity was great. But did you sort of, uh, in your own mind, think that, if I want to sort of press my wares in first grade, that I'd possibly have to move, and yeah. because of who was in in front of you. Yeah, and that and that was something that you know once you get the taste, you think, well, I can't play this, and, and, and maybe I need to try somewhere else, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, and that was probably um, something that was that played on my mind, and, and and happened a bit later on. Yeah. So before we move on from Shell Harbour and and then your next move, mm-hmm. uh, can you talk a bit about some of the um, I guess the first grade players that you saw at Shell Harbour and and I guess because you're a coach mm. and, and a technically minded, tell the listener um, the strengths of their game. You know, if you could talk a bit about, for example, Barney King or, mm. you know, Phil Cook or yep. Klaus Wench or a, a yeah. couple of blokes that sort of spring to mind where you could talk a bit about their game. Oh, look, you know, Andy Vaughan's at the back, um, you know, Dave Ingram in the midfield, you know, you had Paul Couplin in the midfield from what I remember, you know, Scotty Fowler, um, you know, Wayne Barrett in later years, Craig Mason. You know, look, they were very tough guys. I remember, you know, looking at football then, you know, if you watch first grade now, I suppose, you know, age makes a difference. It's not as probably physical, obviously rule changes and stuff. But I remember, you know, that it was just really, 
they'd leave everything on the field, you know, blood, sweat and tears. It was one of those, you know, types of um, teams. But look, technically, you know, guys like Paul Coupland can bring a ball down, you know, it was like on a string and deliver some good balls. Um, you know, Barney, you know, aerially was, you know, fantastic, um, you know. Um, and then, you know, Barry could do it both in the air and on the ground. He had really good feet. Um, you know, and then you had your workers like Craig Mason was, you know, we'd just work and, and, and tackle all day. And, it, you know, the, the boys at the back, Klaus was, uh, uh, Klaus Wunsch uh, was, or Kurt, Klaus Wunsch, and then you've got Kirsten Bader as well, Otto's son. Yeah. Um, he played at the back. But, yeah, oh, look, Phil Cook was good. One of those solid centre-halves, tall, good in the air, um, no-nonsense type of thing. So, you know, they were just, um, they were just good, honest players. And then, you know, you could see, um, you know, then when Barry, you can see Barry had played at a higher league and Jeff had played at a higher league. Now, Jeff Robinson was, you know, again, you know, he's a great keeper. Um, I remember the one season when Tony wasn't there and him pulling off some good double saves, you know, and he, did, he didn't look like a guy that could get around, but Jesse had a really good reflex <laughs> and, you know, he, good good hands. So it was just good to watch those guys. It was just good, honest football and, and um you know, look, I, I don't think any of them went on to do anything, but a lot of them finished their, played their careers at Schlapp because they enjoyed, I think, each other's company. There was that core group that hung around for years. And in the the first grade coaches in that period from 86 to 91, who was yeah. who was coaching in those times? Barney, I think, you know, Les Sheedy was coaching one year. I think, you know, we had um, Barney King. I think towards the end, uh, Bobby Fry turned up yep. and, and, and coached there. And what was Les like as a coach? Les Sheedy? Yeah, oh, look, he was... Um, from my memory, look, really nice guy, Les. Um, it was, it was, it was good. I think he knew a lot of the guys, maybe from juniors and so forth. Yeah. So I think that you know respected him a lot. Oh, look, I can't say whether you know he's, he's good technically and that. I, I didn't really study his coaching too much, but you know, I think um, he had the boys playing playing well um, and, and doing well. And they respected him, yeah. Um, and Barney would have been, I guess, in his infancy as a coach. So. Um, did you see, um, even though you're a younger bloke at the time and probably weren't looking into it, but now reflecting, did you see that he was going to be coaching for a longer period of time? Yeah, you could see. I mean, he brought some new drills and different style of training, probably from what he brought over from England. I mean, look, it wasn't too different from what we were doing. Probably, you know, just a few little adjustments. You know, from from my memory, I think. Um, look at that time. You look at those senior players. It was towards the end of his career. Player coach, I think he did. You know, he, he played and, and coached. But yeah, you, you could see that he'd, he'd probably hang around and be be a coach. Um, you know, the way he addressed himself and the players and the way he spoke to them. It, you know, you could tell that um, he knew football. In terms of reserve grade coaches at Shell Harbour, uh, do you want to talk a bit about one or two that you remember there? Yeah, I look. The one that stands out is Coach Laidlaw, David Laidlaw, who's yep. is now a, a detective, and he was a detective then. <laughs> Great guy, funny guy. Um, Reserve was probably the one of the the best times of playing football. Yeah. Now, you know, we wanted to win, but there wasn't. You know, the emphasis was, was about having a good time. You know, at the end of the game, having a beer and watching first grade and cheering them on. You know, and but it was just so so good. And, and Dave was. Um, you know, he'd score a few home goals. He's known for a few home goals. So, you know, he'd come up. He was really tall. He played centre half, but had his knees strapped. I think his uh, his knees were, were, were shot. But uh, he'd go up for a header, and it'd come off the other side and into the top corner. But you know, in those days, you played three grades. I remember I played three grades for nearly half a season. You know, you go youth grade, yeah, uh, reserve well, grade, and then and then sit on the bench for first grade, and maybe even get on for first grade. So it was it was good. And. Yeah, I had a thirst for it, and so at the end of '91, um, 
you moved on, but was it hard being a Shell Harbour junior um, and then, I guess, having friends there and making even more friends? Was it a difficult decision to move on? Um, yeah, look, it was because, you know, you, you're going into the unknown and you, you, you're leaving your comfort zone. I think, you know, for me, that was a big thing. And yeah, a lot of the friends I played in juniors never sort of carried on to the into the seniors. Um, and then, you know, obviously make, you make friends in, in the seniors. But, you know, there's an opportunity for me. I, I sort of, at that age group, you, you know, I was 20, um, I think about to turn 21. I was really keen, started working. Um, I was really keen to sort of forge my own sort of identity in football and see, yep. you know, what I can do. And, yeah, ended up at your old club at Balgowney. Or so, your club, sorry, Balgowney. So how did you end up at Balgowney Rangers? Did Dave Naylor give yeah. you a call or, or how did it transpire that you, you went up north? Interesting, interesting one. I worked for the Commonwealth Bank. So when right. I finished school, I worked for Commonwealth Bank, and I ended up working um, at a branch with David. I think it was um, out at Coromel, maybe, or Wanuna. Actually, Wanuna might have been. And he was a branch manager. So he'd referee me and knew me from football. So he'd call me Sebe, um, good old Dave. And we had a really good relationship. And he'd taken over Balgan, and he knew that I'd, I'd played. And he said, look, do you, do you want to come and have a run? It was like, okay. Um, and to me, it was great to be asked. You yeah. know, um, rather than you just turning up on someone's footstep, <laughs> doorstep. And um, so, yeah, I, I went there and um, look, look, signed up. And I think your dad was there, um, you know, handing out the, the shorts and stuff to me. But it didn't last long. I trained for a couple of weeks and I didn't have much money. Um, yep. And I transported, I had to borrow dad's car. And dad was a shift worker. So I soon realised that although I was excited to go there, um, I probably couldn't do the training session, do it any justice. And I knew that, you know, that wasn't what Dave would want. So, you know, it was just amicable. I remember it was, I was scared to tell Dave, but you know, <laughs> I, I brought up the courage. Look, I'm sorry to let you down, but I've only been here for a couple of weeks. I'm sure, you know, you, you'll find someone. I think um, one of the Morton brothers was the goalkeeper. Yeah, Derek. Derek, Derek Morton. Yeah, nice guy as well. So um, that was it. And then I was really going to go back to Shell Harbour. Yeah. Um, that, was, um, that was the plan. I thought, well, I'll just go back home and play reserve grade or whatever. It's okay. <laughs> But you ended up getting a a call from Jim Dafkowski and and went to Cringilla United. So um, again, did someone at the club contact you, or did he? Or, or Cringilla United, yeah, yeah, went to Cringilla United. Uh, look, Jimmy Dafkowski, I think um, either I, I think he rang Dad or or he rang home, and I remember coming home and Dad says, "Oh, I've got to ring um, Jimmy." I think it was, it was something like that, just from yeah. memory and. And it was like, oh, yeah, well, we want you to come down to Cringilla. And I did. And it was great. I mean, that for me then, you know, um, I'd watched Cringilla as a youngster and played against him and always got booed because I was a Macedonian playing for, uh, for, for Shell Harbour, which was, you know, the Aussie team. And so it, well, that was funny because I knew all the Macedonian swear words. So you used to have um, an old guy behind the goals, you know, throwing little pebbles at me. And he's passed away now, but he was a real good man. Um, Borshi, his name was, but... Yeah, look, for me to go to Cringilla, there was some great players here, you know, like Luby Yeah, Tillis. they were a club on the up and up. Yeah, yeah, and it was um, it was nerve-wracking, but, you know, it was the first time then I thought, well, shit, you know, I've got to train. So, you know, by then, I think halfway through that year, um, I did manage to buy a, a, a car, a little Datsun 180B, <laughs> which then gave me some, um, you know, opportunity to get the training more regularly. So, look, it was good. I, I enjoyed my time there. But didn't sort of finish off the way I wanted to, um, you know, yeah, politics. Yeah, you, you played eight games, yeah. eight-odd games, and then um, 
then went back to the old club, Shell Harbour. So was that just a, a matter of opportunities or? No, no. Actually, the co- Jimmy said to me, so look, um, you should be playing first grade, but, you know, for other reasons, I can't play you. Yep. And, um, you know, you should you should get, move on and go play somewhere else. You deserve to play. We had a goalkeeper coach at the time. Um, he was coaching us and, you know, he'd always, you know, he said to Jimmy, this guy's got the good technically and blah, blah, blah. And I remember playing in a pre-season um, knockout. We went up to Sydney, actually, and we got, we played, there was a um, a knockout up at Bankstown. Um, I don't know how we got into it. It was a New South Wales Federation sort of um, knockout. We ended up, you know, playing a rally racage coach, you know, um, Bankstown yep. or, or Blacktown, I think it was one of those two teams. Or Avala, that's right. We played Avala. He coached Avala. Um, you know, so that was great. I think we did okay. We held our own, you know. There's some good players. Played in all the Cornwall leagues, um, started a few games, and I think um, we will match of the round in those days. And I was I was selected to play first grade, and the, on the eleventh hour, I got I got dropped for whatever reason. And then yeah, that was sort of thought, oh, we'll have enough now. I'll, uh, I don't like politics. I just wanted to play, you know. So. Uh, Cringilla, uh, you know, a, a prominent club in the Illawarra. It still must have been pretty cool to play at Cream Park. Yeah. And, and like you said. Um, uh, Talk about one or two players in first grade that really stood out for you, even though there was a few more in that mm-hmm. team. But can you pick one or two that sort of stood out for Cringilla? Yeah, oh, look, you know, when you when you look at, um, oh, you know, Luba Tuleski was a great player. Um, you know, at that time, Larry Berenger was playing there, um, you know, at centre-half. Um, he, he, was, he was good. You know, Norm Jaseski, the, the full-back. Um, who else did we have there at the time? I think... Brian Brown might have been playing up top. Robbie Davis, um, wow. his, his cousin, he was a very talented um, indigenous talented player. Individuals. Oh, oh, the talent on him! I, you know, you look at him, what he do with the ball, and you think, wow. Um, so look, it was um, it was a very good team. Um, Paul Keating, I think he came over that year as well from from um, the Shalaba way. They'd signed him up as well. Look, they were a good side. Um, you know, look for. Whatever reason or other, they, they probably didn't, you know, show their potential. They might have, you know, a few years after that, I think. And for yourself, it was pretty easy to uh, go back to Shell Harbour for for the remainder of the season and 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 see out a few reserve grade games there. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Um, in one of the games was against Cringilla, played reserve grade, and I always talked. I bump into Robbie now quite a bit at Rural Wanderers. Robbie Nanders, remember that time he would have been forty five or something. We we're down one nil at half time. And in that team was like Dave Stretton used to be a, a disc jockey on you know 2WL yeah. or something, and Luby Markowski um, that owns Grilled, you know, in town. Businessman, yeah. Oh yeah, but it was it was just a bunch of guys. But Robbie Hernandez, I remember at halftime we going, oh come on boys, we got to beat this team from the kickoff. He's apparently he's done this before. From the kickoff, he's just gone bang and lobbed the keeper. Wow, one all. You know, at, at, at <laughs> forty five, and you know he was he was talented. But look, it was. For me, it was fun just being back home amongst people that you, you sort of knew and, and playing at your home club, you know. Uh, 93, um, uh, you then joined Kiama. Um, how did that move come about? Larry Berenger, actually. He ended up becoming player coach there. So I think he poached myself, um, Brian Brown, um, Robbie Davis. Um, you got a few of us over there. Because they were in the the third tier or the second division. Yeah, yeah, you've got a few of us over there. So um, yeah, and, and Larry brought us over. Look, kind of, it was a great club. Good, good memories. Um, lots of beers at the Grand Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, that, that, they were a good, honest club. Um, you know, we trained out there. We I think we made the 
quarterfinals or semi-finals of the Bampton Cup. Yep. We got beat at Cream Park to a, a strong um, Paul Giraldi, I think, was playing for Fernal at the time. Strong Fernal side. They, I think they just picked a two-one maybe. But look, it was it was it was a it was a great year for us as a team. Um, I was only reminiscing with the boys when we were out there not long ago. Um, and, and with Larry, at, I remember one game we were playing, I think it was Crescent Star, and I said to Larry, can I get up, can I play up front in the second half? We're winning like five or six nil. <laughs> and I wasn't getting much action. So we, um, he gave me an opportunity, I ended up banging a goal. So <laughs> it was, it was, you know, a bit of a, bit of a highlight. But yeah, look, it was, Kaima was good. We, we had a good time. Larry was good to us. We had some good players. Um, yeah, enjoyed it. And for yourself, was it, um, although the third tier, was it still good to sort of, I guess, make your name in first grade and, and be a first grade keeper in a successful team? Yeah, it was. It was. A, look, it's just one of those, I think, and I say it to the boys now, I mean, everyone wants to play at the highest level, but, you know, not everyone can. Um, but there's a good opportunity just to understand what it is to, to be first grade that week in, week out. Um, and for me, that was an opportunity to sort of, you know, start playing my trade and, and all that and, and kind of you know and Larry gave me that opportunity to play regularly which is great you know and what about um, Brian and, and, and Robbie um, uh, two talented individuals uh, talk a little bit about them good oh good blokes we used to actually carpool together training a lot of times and um, you know I was, I was probably um, uh, the indigenous Macedonian amongst the group you know with them because you know we're, we're just we're like brothers you know look they're, they're really good guys you know playing with them Brian just had a lot of, a lot of pace uh, couldn't make those runs that you, you want to coach strikers to make um, and like I said Robbie was just you know phenomenal you know in the midfield he was just um, just one of those guys that was way too good for that competition and could could put a ball wherever you wanted it to but look good blokes good trainers always had a smile on their face um, it, was, it was just a good vibe good Good bunch of boys. Yeah, Brian's a great guy. I think uh, with Bally Rangers in 2007, he was 46, turning 47, coming off the bench in first grade, playing reserve grade and smile on his face. Yeah. Uh, just a top guy. And yeah, he still had pace at that point in time. I watched him and his brother Sonny play with my uncle at Warren United back in the old days. Um, so uncle that played at EPT played at Warren United with him. And watch, you know, Brian Brown with the big afro, just and and, and Macca, you know, Macca Davis as well. Yeah. You know, another another good both both of those two guys um, went and did well at Crinney. I know Macca's successful now with the women's team coaching, but lovely guys. Like they they were really um, welcoming, yeah, um, and really really humble guys. Always had a smile on their face. Always played, you know, good football. They were all, all good talented players. Um, so. Yeah, and Brian and I, you know, we still see each other, and you know, he speaks Macedonian, believe it or not, Brian. Wow. You know, and every, he knows a lot of words from his days at Crinny, and <laughs> so you know, he'll say g'day, how are you, and all that stuff. What have you been up to in Macedonian? So it's quite interesting when other people see us talking a little bit Macedonian. They're thinking, <laughs> what are these two doing? But um, you know, always seeing, you know, he's, he's, he's always a hug and always reminisce and talk about our days at football because we were together at Kemblawara as well. You know, um, but yeah, really, really good times at Kaima. I really enjoyed it, and, and especially after the games, it was great. That a man of a match award, and which meant you know, I think you had a bottle of the schooner, which was, was good <laughs> in those days. <laughs> Ninety four, you you joined the Portuguese club Kembla Warris. So um, was that a, a move to move up the divisions um, because they'd been promoted the season before um, from second division to first division? So yeah. um, was that again another chance for you to? Show your wares in a higher division. Yeah, oh look, we got poached again. It was an opportunity. I think I played well against Kemlawar. I think the two times that we did play them, 
And Albert, the coach at the time, he was from Kiama. He had the news agent in Kiama. So he and his last name Nashimento. Yep, Albert Nashimento. So um, I think he's over in Perth these days. He might have come back. But um, Albert was um, Portuguese background. Kiama boy. I think he'd watched me playing. We played well against him, and he'd taken over as coach. So. He's on the recruiting pass, so managed to, you know, obviously myself went there, another mate of mine, Dare Petreski, he was a striker, he he came over with me. Um, yeah, um, and that was, yeah, probably the start of probably the best years of my life in football in the local area um, from a player's perspective. So what was it like at a, at a Portuguese club? Because even at this point, your uh, education in football has been wide and varied from different ethnicities mm. to different... I guess Australian clubs, mm. air quote, mm. but um, to go to a Portuguese club uh, who were probably starting on that phenomenal run that they had for about ten odd years. Yeah. Uh, what do you recall of that period? Oh, great! Oh, look, the, the Portuguese supporters were some of the, the best supporters. Look, they were all honest, hard workers. Half of them really couldn't speak English too well, you know. But they were passionate about the game. They they treated their players as gods. Um, you know, they really. They loved you, you know, you'd walk in the ground, how are you? They all want to buy you a drink or something. And then back at the Portuguese club, you know, they'd yeah. you know, buy you a schooner and stuff like that. But look, they were really good. And I think it's, it showed me from a club point of view how if if you treated well, it wasn't about the money. Like we got paid, it wasn't much, you know. I, I guess some players got paid more, but, you know, for yeah, me, yeah. it was just going out money, you know, for be money basically. But it, it showed as a club what, how you can be valued as a player. Um, it wasn't just about turning up and getting your paycheck. It was, you mingled, the supporters valued you and they valued you before and after the game, whether you won or lost, you know, there wasn't anything. But, you know, the support on the field, support, you know, during the game, it was great. You know, they had a lot of volunteers. And, you know, somehow for me personally, it was like, you wanted to reward them with victories because they were so passionate and so committed to the club. Um, and you could see that the club was heading in the right direction. I mean... Yeah, I look, I know money makes the world go around in terms of football, but you know, they I don't think they, they threw silly money. I mean, probably later on maybe, but I think initially we had a lot of um, Portuguese, good Portuguese players and and Albert recruited some good good players from the league. And, you know, we started getting stronger and started, you know, winning games and, and so forth. But look, really, really good people and really loved being there at Camelwara. And for yourself as a goalkeeper in that period, uh, how did you see your game developing? Oh, look, I... I was fortunate enough that, you know, the way I looked at it, I probably wasn't the best player in the team. I know that. I can put my hand up. But I needed to be better and I needed to work harder. So I used to do extras on my own and try and do some goalkeeping and stuff on my own. Um, and I, it sort of raises your game when you've got quality players or better players around you because you don't want to let them down. So you need to make sure that, you know, you're at your best. So that gave me then that aspect of, this is what it, you're a cog in a team and you need to play your part in this team. And, you know, and, and, and how I could play my part was to make sure that I was at my best all the time, you know. So Friday nights in those days, even though you were young and you should be going out, my mates at the time weren't playing soccer, were going out. And I remember Friday nights for me were pretty low key where we'd go fishing with a couple of boys that played soccer and just to, you know, do something and then come home and have an early night. So, yeah, it sort of brought a bit more focus on me looking after myself and, and, and doing the right thing for my team. And and from a, I guess, a club perspective, they were on the up and up, but they didn't have a, uh, I guess, a ground. They sort of moved around a bit. I think it was Illawarra Senior College when you first joined and then Ulster Avenue and, and then King George V Oval. So um, uh, 
that sort of uh, gypsy-like... Played them all. Uh, I guess ground hopping probably doesn't give any, um, I guess, solidness to, to being part of a club. But I guess having that Portuguese backing really did and going yeah. back to the club as well. Also, Avenue was um, an interesting one because, you know, obviously I don't live too far from it. And that was an old school building, an old yeah. like 1950s wooden building turned into dressing <laughs> sheds, um, you know, sitting on blocks or bricks or whatever, sitting on behind um, some shops in a laneway backing onto an industrial estate. There's only one field. They just look like they're just being built then. Rural of Sport played there yeah. back in the day. They were in the West Ham or Burnley colours. Um, so it was interesting. The ground wasn't great. It didn't suit the style of our football, you know, but... Again, you know, um, you know, I remember playing Johnny Freight as our fullback. You know, we had, um, you know, Julio Neto, you know, Dare played Joe Quill at that time. Look, we won a lot of games there. Um, I think we had, we had the team. But it was interesting and interesting playing. And then King George Oval, um, we played on the main. That was our main ground. Very windy. I remember as a goalkeeper, it was, it was quite tricky. But I was fortunate enough that I didn't have a lot of work to do on a lot of games. And um, the boys up top um, made light work of it. But, um, yeah, training down there was probably the hardest, especially when Jimmy Mikowski came to the club because you had a lot of options for running. So there's a lot of hills there, especially yeah, the Hill definitely. 60. So, um, but look, it was good. King George was good backing that day. I don't know what they were charging, whether they could charge any gate, but, you know, people just pull up with their cars and, and, and you know, Paul Kimmel being a lot of, um, you know, different ethnicities there yeah. and they like football. If you're driving by, you go, oh, there's a game of football on. And then Kimmel at the time started getting a, a bit of a buzz around town. So we're there. I mean, the training surface wasn't that great on the second field, but hey, it was <laughs> it was home. So you know, we enjoyed it. And that '94 season is um, made a, a grand final against West Era. Um, yep. Ended up losing that. Um, what do you remember about that grand final? Yeah, um, Brandon Park. Um, I remember we. Uh, yeah, well, look, they'll, they'll, they'll probably Harry Satin at the time. Um, he sort of was orchestrating and, and, and I think Ralph Schmidt yep. was the other guy in there. Um, they were a good side. They were, they were probably, um, I think, you know, on our day we could beat them. I think, you know, at the end of the day, from what I remember, I think, you know, one of the goals I probably could have done better in myself. Um, but yeah, we, we, we got beat by, you know, what was probably the, the strongest team that year. Uh, but, you know, that sort of spurred us on to, um, to, to try again the following year. Yeah, the the following year, um, I think uh, Richard Fernandez was then coach, mm-hmm. and and you ended up finishing second, but ended up being uh, grand final winners. So, mm-hmm. what do you remember about that year? It was good, just good winning a, a senior grand final. It was it was good. I mean, I'd won something. Look, I'd won a, a few of my junior career, um, and that was always good. And then, um, but yeah, to do it in seniors, you sort of like going, okay, I've made it, and that's that feeling of the culmination of the work that you put in to know you, you won it. And it was good that year we had a couple of guys. I was coaching the youth grade actually by default that year at Kemblawarra. Um, I went to do some extra training actually um, and um, ended up helping out the Portuguese coach there, um, Mr. Pires. He was a, he was a great man. Um, it just the boys were just mucking up on him. And <laughs> I'd sort of, you know, being a senior player, came in there and, and started saying, come on boys, you drive with me. And, and then he said, oh, can you help me? And then from there we ended up, you know, sort of, you know, coaching and, and, and doing that. But a good thing was we guys like Darren DeFazio, he was in my youth grade team, he ended up playing first grade that year, you know, and got promoted. So, um, and he won a grand final. So 95, uh, 
Kambawara made the grand final and you de- defeated Picton. Yes, yes, it was uh, it was it was a, a good victory. I remember um, I've got got some photos, some good good memories with uh, a couple of mates along with Tony and, and Dara at the time celebrating. But um, yeah, it was a good one, good one for the for the Portuguese. Good day that one as well. So '96 turns around and and then um, Makowski comes in. Um, did things change a little bit? Um, you again finished second in the league um, behind White Eagles and um, were grand final winners. So um, what was he like as a coach? And and could you believe that, I guess, in three successive years, he's uh, making grand finals, mm. you're in the top top two of the league and, and, and things are rolling along nicely? Yeah. Oh, look... Um... Jimmy Mikowski brought a very disciplined approach to what we were doing. He didn't take any any crap, um, put it that way. I think um, we'd um, we'd obviously come off a successful year the year before, and then he'd, he'd come in and um, essentially, um, you know, I think he wanted to rattle the cage. He brought a few younger guys in there with him, and we had some senior players. And I think at the time. <laughs> It was funny, we had a meeting with him and, and our president in the dressing sheds. I think he wanted to get rid of me, Joe Coelho and Tony Sekolowski because, oh, you know, we just spoke up a, a couple of times. You know, he, Jimmy was very direct and to the point and wouldn't mince his words. And I think for us, it was like it took us back. We're going, here we go, we're a successful team. We've enjoyed this. And now you're telling us that this guy's not good enough and blah, blah, blah. And, and we're just trying to help him sort of get fit into the club. And he didn't, yeah. I don't think he saw it that way. But, you know, we, we didn't get sacked and we, we sort of, you know, we, we, we made peace and, uh, yeah, moved forward from there. So uh, uh, a win in the grand final um, against White Eagles, um, I think it was yes. that year, who, who ended up being champions. But um, uh, was there still a, a bit of disappointment in those those years where you, you weren't, I guess, good enough to make that step up and get promoted? Yeah, um, there, there probably was. I mean, we probably should have. And um, I remember... And again, we played a match of the round against the White Eagles. I think it was uh, for for a first of the team at the time. It was the only match of the round, and and it got great coverage in the Mercury. It, did. it was unusual at the time. Unusual at the time. It was one of those because there was a lot of players on both sides that had played at a decent level. I mean, you had like Luce Dimoff playing for them. Um, you know, John Kenny. I think you know Goran Trajewski. Um, they had some White Eagles, some really good yeah. players, and and obviously we had Jay Coelho. I think we had Luce Dimoff at the time. Playing with us, and Vlad Serbanovsky, you know Tony Sekolovsky, um, you know we had some 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 good players ourselves. Yeah, I probably you know I think I, I think I cost us winning that game. You know, as a goalkeeper, you always hard. I'm always hard on myself anyway. But look, it was a thrill draw, but it was felt like a grand final. We had there was I don't know, would it, it felt like there was about three thousand people. But you know, the Plinus, you know, I think you get five hundred. Feels yeah. like there's two thousand in there. But it was I remember it being full all the way around. It was just a really good moment. But look, they were a good side. And um, but you know, at the end end of the day, uh, winning the grand final sort of you know made up for. Yeah, David Green actually played for him as well. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, good, good, good side. When you look at great names. plays in the first division yeah. at that point in time. Ninety seven was then the year that you gained promotion by by being uh, champions. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? It was your first time of of in first grade winning the league. Mm. Um, what was that like and, and what was the feeling around the club? It was great winning the league because that's what we were aiming for. Yeah. Um, I remember I did my knee at, um, in the latter half of the season um, against Tarawana um, and was out with medial ligaments. So I, I really was pushing it 
uphill to try and make the semis and stuff, but you know, I didn't didn't get a chance to to, to participate in that final with the club. But look, it was great. I think we lost to Helensburg in the grand final that year, but I think yeah, we achieved what the club wanted to achieve. I think there was a push. We've been showing obviously some good promise over the years. The new ground was coming up, um, Albert Butler and yeah. all that stuff. So the club was on the up, and I think they you know deserve to be in Premier League. And yeah, uh, the club got there. And '98, um, yeah, you then had um, a couple of different coaches that year. So, mm. uh, what happened in that year in your first year in Premier League? Yeah, it was it was it was um, it was weird. It was uh, I think like every club. I mean, I experienced it as a, as a coach later on with the White Eagles. But you know, coming from being successful in one division then to the next, just trying to find your place, having a different coach that didn't understand the boys that had won it and what yep. we played. So I think we were the victim of um, transition, different styles. Um, yeah, so yeah, probably, it, it probably didn't enjoy like I think the club were expecting to, but um, yeah, oh, look, I, I didn't get promoted, but um, didn't get relegated, sorry, and they ended up staying in the in the league. But I played mostly second grade that year, um, played a bit, a bit of first, mostly second. Um, for whatever reason, I think I um, was working in Sydney at the time, so training for me was becoming a bit difficult. So I'd probably taken a backward step, and I think um, it might have been young Mitchell coming through then. Yep. Um, Mitchell Blaze, who you know lived down the road from from my house on Captain Cook Drive there, and yeah, it was, it was good. I didn't really, it didn't bother me. I just, yeah. I was more like I was happy to be at, at a good club and around the supporters that I've had success with. And uh, the next couple of years, was that roughly the same in 99 and 2000 where the club was then getting better in Premier League but because of stuff outside of football, you were just predominantly playing reserves and, yeah, yeah. and helping out where needed? Yeah, and that was it, basically. And, you know, we, we I remember um, that year we opened, I think Eddie Denoro played there and um, I think, you know, when Flemo was there, he'd like taller, bigger goalkeepers and, um, you know, so I wasn't really... Flemo's cup of tea from a goalkeeper point of view. Probably wasn't as fit as um, Flemo wanted me to. But look, it, for me, it was more I was then focusing on work and trying to build my life outside of football and realise that, hey, I'm not going to be earning a living out of this this game, but I, I still love playing, right? And I still love being around the team and the club. So for me, it was great. You know, I was a spectator sitting on the bench watching first grade cheering him on, you know. It, it, was, it was good warming up the keepers. and So I look, I, I enjoyed that, that, that time there. Kenora is a good club. And... You know, I look at it, when we beat the White Eagles that, that year, I mean, it was probably, I was told this to a couple of people, when we got off the, the minibus um, to get into the, um, the club, the club was packed. You couldn't walk. And what year was this? When we beat the White Eagles in the grand final, yep. we'd come back to the Portuguese club with the trophy, Joe Coelho, the captain. I remember being behind Joe, and we actually couldn't walk. We were getting swarmed, people touching us. Wow. Going, yeah, you know, patting us on the... And it felt like... I don't know, I feel like, you know, at an EPL club, you know, like you're, you're walking into a club which is jam-packed, full of the Portuguese, just excited. And I remember they did things like before one of the grand finals, they had a kitchen there, they, you know, all, they had a team photo, they made shirts with the team photo and, you know, they were really, really passionate. And as a player, you, you felt that, you know, I remember going into the club, that was a great night. We ended up staying upstairs and drinking <laughs> and eating and so... 
for me, it was those memories still, and you just wanted to. We, we enjoyed ourselves. We were mates that enjoyed ourselves. We'd go after training on a Thursday to the Portuguese club, have a few schooners. We'd, you know, been a goalkeeper with the strikers, we'd bet how many goals they scored for schooners. <laughs> so it was good banter, good fun, good bunch of blokes. Um, and yeah, um, look, I enjoyed it. I, I didn't want to leave, and it didn't bother me when I played first or, or second grade, to tell you the truth. And if you had to, because um, you, you finished your time. Um, after seven, th- seven seasons in 2000. But if you had to pick two or three players to, to talk about in that time at Kemblewara that you really enjoyed playing mm. with and watching, mm. uh, could you describe them to the listener? Oh, look, you know, Joey Coelho, um, you know, being on the other end of shooting at training, uh, but seeing some of the goals he scored, I still don't see him. You know, you, you see those ones on telly, you know. Um, Volleys, you know, he was small, up in the air, beating high defenders. You know, the the guy left and right foot, there was no no weakness. I remember once we were at Highlands, we were losing 2-0 at halftime and Mikowski um, just ripped it into us because we shouldn't have been losing. But it was really cold up there at the time and the field wasn't that great. And Joey Coelho's just gone, you know, this, we, we've got to, be, got to beat these guys. He's gone out within 15 minutes, scored a hat-trick and we won the game 3-2. Like, you could turn a game. And then you look at, you know, my mate, Tony Sekoloski, you know, another yeah. guy. He played any, every position from right fullback. He's probably the best right fullback that, that played the game. But, you know, he liked attacking. Um, but, you know, good central midfielder as well. Um, and then played up front with Joey Coelho and scored a lot of goals. They, the two of them, just watching how they played little one-twos and just beat defenders with just one touch nice. was, was great. And then when you look at the younger guys, Vlad Serbanoski, you know, talented player, yeah. really good kid, good heart. Um, really good, good clubman. But you know, look, we we had a lot of players. You know, um, you know, Mickey Hayes back in the day. You know, really good, good, good midfielder. Did a lot of tackling. You know, Spiros Pappas in the early days. Um, Julia Concalves. There's there was um, plenty of plenty of good players there. But yeah, Co- Coelho, Sekoloski, Serbanoski, Those three were were probably pretty pretty special players in terms of what they could do with the ball. And you know, Joey Coelho would you know would win a game for you. The drop of a hat. Wish I had that striker these days. <laughs> and uh, before we move on, uh, a couple of the committee people that sort of spring to mind because, like you said, it was a wonderful time for you, but there was that real community involvement yeah. that focused their energy on, on football and, and when, you know, the success was everyone enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were great, you know, from... Um, you know, we had Danny Concarves, he, he was the president one year, his brother played, great guy, he loved us, he loved the game, he was, um, he, you know, he'd look after us, he, the players, he'd buy us, you know, drinks afterwards when we win, he, he'd celebrated harder than, than, than the players, it was really good. <laughs> but, you know, in the early days, um, Jack Germano was a su- successful um, builder and developer, he he looked after us, he was very, very good with us, um, with the players, um, you know... Like I said, we didn't play for big money, but you know they, they honoured what they they said they would. They looked after us, they fed us, they drank. You know, Elidio Carres, another good man, um, really good good dragon supporter. Um, but <laughs> he was a good man. Like he, it wasn't like he was present. He was welcoming. He going boys, you know, yeah. everything okay. Um, you know, he'd, he'd actually talk to the players. You know, we had no problem talking to him. We, we were one club. Um, you know, Fred Neto um, and his and his and his wife. Again, you know, Kemalwara people, great. You know, it was like a, a family. It didn't matter sort of who came in. It was just, it just kept going. And, um, you know, the, the fun times were there. That was really good. The Portuguese club, I think, I think at the time was thriving, you know, and it was just, it was a good, good place to be, I think, you know. 
you know, I, I really enjoy, like I always say, that, you know, I tell whoever wants to hear me, Kenilworth is probably, you know, one of the best clubs at the time um, to be a part of, no matter what they're, um, you know, they're Portuguese or whatever. It was, it was fine. And the food was terrific. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sad that they're, they're no longer, and uh, I think we're the lesser for it yeah, um, yeah. in the football community. So in 2001, you, you then um, started a journey with a, with a club that maybe younger people would, would know you more with, with Albion Park White Eagles. Mm-hmm. So what brought about the, the change to join them in the second tier in the Conference League in 2001? Yeah, interesting. I, um, I wanted to get come back and sort of play closer to home out, out this way. So I was just looking what where uh, what options and and I thought, you know, I'd, I'd always sort of, you know, having played against the White Eagles, I thought, you know, they're always a strong club. And after being at Kembla War, I wanted to still be at a strong club. I thought, you know, I've still got some, some years left in me and I wanted to have a, another good crack at, you know, probably winning a grand final, yep. you know, because I didn't want to play till I was in my 40s or anything like that. And I thought, well, you know, I'm getting close to the 30s now. It's, you know, work, all that stuff. And I thought, well, if I can, you know, finish off on a high, I'm, I'm happy to do that. And, and, and I think um, that the White Eagles was, in my eyes, the best opportunity to do that. And yeah, I went and signed a, a two-year deal, actually. So it was, <laughs> it was okay. And it was it was Peter Willis that was at the, at the club uh, yes. in 2001. So uh, what do you recall of, of that season? Um and I think at latter part of the year, Phil Matthias came in. Mm. So, um, what was it like being at a new club and, and then having two different coaches? Yeah. Um, look, I, to start with, you know, Peter Willis is good. He was good to me. Really, really nice man. I, I, I've got to say that. Um, look, he didn't play me as much as I probably wanted to play for whatever reason. Um, but you know, look, at the end of the day, um, you know, coaches, you've got to make decisions. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm never, never bitter about it. But I think at, at that stage when he was around. I think his brief was that the club needed to go back to Premier League, and I think we'd lost a couple of games and threw away some points, and I don't think the club were patient then at the time, which meant then uh, Phil Matthias came in, and that sort of because I was probably on the precipice of going, well, you know what, I've tried, I, you know, I've put an effort in, and I can't play, um, I might just sort of you know pack it up now and and, and um, just focus on you know work, and I wasn't really worried about even. Really, even from the coaching point of view, I didn't really see that as something that I, I probably would have done um, because I was still a bit young. And so, yeah, I mean, look, Matthias came in, really got us um, into sort of a different shape. There's different methods in coaching. Um, I really liked some of the stuff that he was doing. It's sort of then that sparked a bit of interest in me about coaching and understanding, oh, look, there's a different one. Because up until then, it was a lot of like running, not much of the technical stuff, not much of, you know, understanding the game you know why why we're playing here why we're moving here what this drill is about not just doing a drill so he brought a different view to the game which then sort of excited me and then um i remember it was funny when he was going through the plays he said i've got notes on all these plays but i've got no notes on you <laughs> as a goalkeeper so well what does that mean is that good or bad you know type of thing but yeah, look he gave me the opportunity and i you know i'd like to think i didn't let him down we ended up winning a grand final look he was good good for us he, he renewed our renewed our sort of spirit in there and um you know and just brought a different dimension and, and we started playing you know and that dis- disrespect to peter willis um, we played good football then and we we played good, good football under phil matthias and, and and won a grand final yeah well what about that grand final against tarawana because uh, uh there's a well maybe to me it's a picture in my head but there, i'm pretty sure that's the picture where there was a, a disputed goal 
and there's a real good close-up. I forget the photographer, and um, it was a great it was a great picture of um, I think it was George Naylor and and Husey and and I forget the referee, but they were just yeah, it could have been, but it, and it, they were just sort of you could just tell in that picture that the goal it was a goal to them and and it was yeah, disallowed. Yeah, well, you know, it's, again, it's one of those things. But um, I, I remember it was a long throwing coming in, and and and, and Andrew uh, Naylor, there, or George, call, calling me referee us actually um, yesterday. Um, he'd come in, but I think Pete saw that he impeded me. Yep. And I think you know, as you know, as a goalkeeper, you get touched. Um, you know, you, you get fouled. So, look. I think the Taiwan people saw it as not a foul, and <laughs> I think yeah, our team saw it as a foul. So that's one of those things you, know, you can go through sport. There's a lot of those, those those issues, but yeah, the cameraman caught it caught it well. But look, it was um, it was it was good to come out a winner. Was it one nil that that game or? Yeah, it was. It was. I think one nil. Um, your brother might have been played. With, yeah, it's, it's a possibility. With then, I think it's maybe. a possibility. They had you know um, Glenn Keaton playing there, um, Andrew Naylor uh, playing there. So for you, was it a, a case of um, initially you sort of thought, well, this is a possibility at this club. Uh, they want to get back up. And now yeah. you've done it. It must have been a nice feeling to to be part of a team and contribute in a grand final. Yeah, it was good. It was good to sort of get back and do it with another club. Um, again, you know, uh, the Serbians uh, celebrate their, their wins and they're, you know, very well-supported club. And that's one thing that sort of, struck me with the club it, it was really you can draw parallels to Kemba um, you know all, all our different nationalities the passion yeah. and the commitment to the club and although they were still new as an Albion Park Wydegal entity um, having moved from Herb Clonus and you know amalgamate of Albion Park there was that you know generation of Albion Park people you know like Frankie Zammett and Jimmy Pickup which were you know uh, were good for the club but you know you can just see that whole um, the club felt good and it felt like you know there's the success happening here, and um, and they're all about the football and, and, and making sure that they had the um, the right structures to be successful, and that's what I felt there. Uh, in two thousand and two, um, most people would have thought at the start of that season that Albion Park again, the White Eagles wanted to be promoted, not just win the grand final, mm-hmm. and um, and it looked like Phil would probably stay on as coach, yep. uh, although you might not have seen what happened behind the scenes mm. or what had happened. But it was extraordinary to then, um, I guess, the news, um, even back then, that you then became the first grade coach. So uh, f- from your yeah. perspective, how did that happen? It was it was, it was was bizarre. Actually, David Skeen was our coach. David Skeen got appointed coach right. in pre-season. So, um, so Phil... Uh, Phil said he couldn't do it, I think, okay. at the end of the year. And then I think... Um, Mick Pradanovic, who was um, I think, you know, in charge at the time, they appointed David Skeen. So our whole preseason was done with David Skeen. And, and you were playing at I this was playing. point in time? I was, I was a player. So it was me, Jeff Allport, um, you know, uh, and a few of the boys that were there. Um, and essentially, um, Skeen, I think, got um, another job or something like that and couldn't commit anymore. So we were left without a coach. And I remember Mick, I think being one of the senior players, Mick Pradanovic had asked Jeff Allport um, and said, well, Jeff, can you just run the boys until we get a training, um, till we get a coach? And and Jeff had like, oh, yeah, I'm not keen to coach or we just want to play type of thing. And then yep. I think, you know, I, I was approached, I think, at around the same time as him from memory. And, and I said to Mick, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Because it was something I thought, well, 
in my mind, I thought, I've got nothing to lose. I've got an opportunity here to either... Yeah. Because I had, in my mind, I had a lot of football knowledge and after being at successful clubs, I sort of felt that I had some knowledge about what it took to be successful and, and what I thought I needed to do that other coaches weren't doing to, to the team. So, look, it was only in the beginning, it was only to do it around through the Coromel Leagues. That was, okay. a, that was a brief. So for me, it was an opportunity to sort of put my best foot forward, yep. coach the guys. It was weird because I was a player and then all yeah. of a sudden coach and I'd never been a player coach before. And I think we went through okay in the Coromel Leagues and I think we still hadn't found a coach, but Mick had spoken to a few of the boys and would play him well. And the boys said, look, you know, Steve's going all right. You, you may be just, you know, rather than getting someone else in, he's now where I think we're a week away from starting the comp or something like that. And so Mick's pulled me in and going, well, right, do you want to be the coach? And I said, well, aren't you getting one? He said, no. He said, but um, what are you going to do about a goalkeeper? I said, well, I'll play. Because I was fit enough, I'd train, yeah. I'll play and coach and see how it goes. And I think the brief, I didn't have to sign a contract with them. The brief was, you, know, you lose two games, you're gone. Because they want to get promoted. Well, so it, was honesty, yeah, it was honesty, honest. Yeah. It wasn't a ruthless thing. It was, yeah, it was yeah. honesty. It was like, you know, we can't afford to lose two games. And, you know, if that happens, you know, you're going to get replaced. So well, I was on... And I remember the first game I um, coached, I played at Ray Robinson. Um, we played Fern Hill. There's a young Chris Smith, and I was in goals. So I was trying to coach and play. And I might have thought it was easy. I had this delusion, <laughs> delusion that I can play um, and coach. And I'm passionate. I'm trying to like look at what's going on and yet forgetting my game. And I remember <laughs> we drew two all. We just scraped in. And Mick sort of looked at me first game. And I remember that they weren't happy. and We should have won. And I said, no, nah, that's it. I'd, I'd, I'd sort of come home. I said, no, nah, I'm not playing anymore. I've, 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 I've had a good time playing. I think it was early 30s. I was yeah. maybe 30, 31. I've had a good time playing. I've luckily escaped with no major injuries. Um, and I thought, well, I better actually have a crack at this before they sack me. And then everyone, <laughs> I'll be a laughing stock. They say, well, he couldn't coach. But well, they probably still say that now. But um, yeah, and that was it. That was the beginning of that. And we had, um, we had some players from Sydney. Just trying to sort of juggle that it was, is it you know, a new experience, and that yeah. was just trying to just build on, you know, create a system, build on what we had, and trying to get people in the right positions, and you know, uh, it, it it worked well. We had the talent there, which I think in the early parts probably wasn't so much my coaching; it was more the talent we had, but we we're fit enough and we we're structured, and then you know, um, we got better, better. I think that year I moved a, a very talented player, Dave Petrie, from you know, he was our sweeper. Yeah. Um, and we'd had Jeff Orport, I put him in that sweeper role and and um, we had a good centre-half in Nicky Glavin and I really couldn't fit this guy in, but I knew he was a very good talent and we are lacking up top. I said, mate, look, that Alex is sounding just similar. All I need you to do is be the strong man up front, hold the ball for me. He can play left and right-footed and, and, and put Alex through in spaces. He was doing that, but then he started scoring. Left and right foot headers, you name it. <laughs> Never played up front yeah, before. Yeah, phenom- phenomenal. I and forget. scored 51 goals. Yeah, it was a... But didn't play in strike until around five or around six. Wow. He came into play strike. And for the life of me, I don't know how he didn't get player of the year that year, but, you know. Yeah, that's still a strange one for me as well. Yeah. And, uh, like you said, there was that tinge of pressure, but I guess you had nothing to lose. And, no, I didn't. And it was more on, a, I guess, the committee. Um, they had pressure amongst themselves. Um, because they really wanted for the fans and the club to to get promoted, but an undefeated season that's it's just uh, crazy in your first year. Um, but like I said, on reflection, you're honest enough to say that you know part of it was you, but part of it was the squad as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I was blessed. You know, Mick had signed some 
you call them imports, you know, guys that have come from, you know, the, the Bosnian War had settled in Sydney and stuff, but they could play, you know. So we had a couple of boys coming down from Sydney and the club was good. This is where they were good. Our sponsors, I think, um, one was, you know, Oscar Smash repaired and got them an old Volvo, you know, yep. and they drove down with that and the club sort of supported them that way. But you could see, for me, the, the, the thing that stood out there was not so much, you know, the football and the talent that we had at how... The local boys, I mean, we had guys like Owen Freestone, who was our right fullback, um, you know, it was a, a, a Alvin Park Jr., <laughs> you know, uh, Adrian Davies, you know, um, playing in there. So we had some Alvin Park kids, these guys from Sydney and a couple of guys from around the area, and, you know, Jeff Orport, Alvin Park boy. But how all the boys got together, the Sydney boys got to give them credit, they turned up and they trained. Um, it wasn't like a once a week or came to winter, they never turned up, they trained and also produced it on the field. But it was that... On and off the field, our comedian supporters became and our players became one. Um, you know, the, the, the players were loved by the supporters. We had some sections of support to give you a good, <laughs> honest feedback about your performance and stuff. But, you know, we'd all do that over a Chavapi roll, um, you know, sitting out there having a beer and, and, and talking about the game. It was, look, it was good times. Um, you know, the crowd there at the grand final, the post-grand final celebrations, knowing when we got promoted, you know, all of that stuff. And that club deserved to be back in Premier League. I think there were some hard times there with the... Football South case um, when they yeah there was some court cases and stuff court cases and stuff so yep. to them it was you know a few years of tough times and getting back you know and they deserve to get back in there and for me it was like a dream debut as a coach yeah. you know uh, do you think um, even though maybe at the time uh, it didn't occur to you but because of those several years at Kemblawara where you'd been in the second tier at a successful club that hadn't done it you'd probably taken stuff in and and maybe just you know. It was inside you that you knew sometimes what was needed and how to yeah. interact with committee yeah. players and the supporters. Yeah, yeah. Look, it did. Kemla Warrior gave me a good, um, good apprenticeship, you know, to sort of you know how I moulded as a coach and and Kevin. Look for me, and we spoke about this earlier about community. I think you know people. There's a lot of volunteers that come to the game and give up a lot of time. Um, and put a lot of effort in and supporters and put money out of their own pocket. You know, I'd, I'd seen it, you know, people getting money out of their own pocket to, you know, support the club when the club needed it, needed the cash. So I think, you know, we aided it as a team to reward those people for their efforts. Yep. Um, we're also, you know, for me, it was to the boys. I said, boy, you know, I used to say things to them like, we're, we're, we're there Liverpool, we're there Manchester United. We need to, you know, we need to come out of here and actually, you know, represent this club and represent the shirt and represent, you know, what these people are about, you know, and, and put a smile on their face. And and I think, you know, once we started becoming closer, you know, the boys enjoyed it. You know, it wasn't then, you weren't a stranger at the club, you were loved, no matter what nationality yeah. you were. Um, and, and now a, a club that winning and losing in those early years was paramount because they wanted to get the Premier League. But if you'd put an effort in and they could see genuinely that you tried your butt out, there wouldn't be that, oh, booze and, oh, you know, you're this and that. It was, if they saw that you're having a lend, and you know, they're quite educated, a lot of them were ex-players. If they saw that you were, you know, taking the, the mickey, so, so to speak, you know, they'd let you know about it while you're playing. So it was a really good, honest um, club, but I think, you know, they, they made the off-field stuff really good. As a coach, I didn't have to worry about anything other than coaching. I had yep. the balls there. I had, you know, drink bottles there. Jerseys were there. Um, physios were there. Everything that you needed was there. You just need to focus on getting your doing team prepared your and doing the job. So 2003, you're back in the Illawarra Premier League. Um, uh, how do you transition 
between going from the conference to Premier League, you know, I'm sure that there was some tough discussions with players that you had the year before. You would have brought in new players, and you did. Um, how did you then navigate that sort of last year's squad, this year's squad, and, and how did you sign players up that year? Is it working with the committee? Yeah. Mick Predanovic, you know, great help. You know, look, you know, Rad Maravic, you know, he was another one that I was going to mention that was in the committee there. You know, Dougie Barraza, who's still there. He was a player at the time, just getting the, into the committee. Frankie Zam, it's all... Look, all those guys were great. Mick Peranovic was in the Navy, been with the Wolves and stuff. So yeah. we knew a lot, a lot of players. And, um, you know, we've got guys like Vic Constable, who I saw the other day for the first <laughs> time in about 13 years. Um, you know, he brought in Vic... Um, he brought in David Kerr. I knew Ben Blake when he when he moved down here. Yep. Um, got to build a friendship with Ben and asked Ben to come along and play. Um, Tony Sekulowski was a mate of mine. I got Tony over to play for that experience part. He played in the Premier League. So, um, you know, Jade Booth, uh, another guy that I knew, he was, you know, got him in to play goalkeeper for us. And we had the players that got us, you know, they were Premier League quality players that got us into in the Premier League. Yeah. So, you know, you, we kept faith with a lot of them. I think we just missed the semis. Yeah. You know, and look, that year Phil came back and gave me a hand again because it was probably, I probably needed it. And Mick, you know, sort of helped me out. They probably could have sacked me if they wanted to. Um, but, you know, we, we sort of had a mixed season. Consistency was an issue. And, you know, again, I was still very raw and, and, and new as a coach. But, you know, Phil came in there and showed me, watched, observed a few sessions and gave me a bit of a, a, bit of a hand throughout the season, which, again, you know, sort of gave me a boost and, and got me back, back on the... Straight and narrow, but look, we we, we looked okay. Um, for us, it was about consolidating. We never thought about not getting really. So that, that was the aim. That you that was the aim. I mean, look, if we can sneak in the finals, it would yeah, have been yeah. great. And we thought we had a good enough team to make the semis, um, and I thought we did as well. But look, I think we weren't conditioned in the Premier League like some of the other teams. Like Portland was a pretty strong team in those yeah, days. Definitely. So uh, I guess two thousand and four, after having one year under your belt. It, it, it's a different, I guess, kettle of fish. Um, it was then definitely semi-finals is is the priority, yeah. or is the one of the aims? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. We again, we recruited. You know, getting I mean, Jason Francesco knew him from a, from a baby, and I knew his parents growing up in the area. Yeah, so phenomenal. It player. wasn't a hard conversation. Very good guy. He's um, doing very well in the states at the moment. He's um, he's a good kid. Uh, you know, Harvey Rodriguez. Um, you know, good player, good attitude. Um, so yeah, you know, and then you know Tony uh, Deleski, another good player, and then young Mao, um, you know, he'd come through. He's a young Serbian kid, very talented left footer. And then you know Michael Kazowski, I brought him in from um, the youth grade. Yep. Look, that, that was a, look, that was another a good year. We had some issues with injuries and stuff. Um, I think um, I think we um, I think David Kerr left. I think he went to Dandaloo. I think you know the, the Dandaloo. Um, juggernaut was around at the time and um, you know obviously they were, they were poaching the, the better players and that's fair enough so um, yeah look we we did well uh, that year um, we knocked out in a qualifying final but it was it was by Port and a strong team but for us having had that success in the and then coming back in the Premier League and then building up on that it was you know, it was a good achievement you know I thought with a young unknown coach and you know and but we did well we had a, you know again good time and uh, although you were sort of focused on your team and um, learning as a young coach, uh, Paul Kemper in those two years that you're back in Premier League uh, won the double in both years. Uh, uh, from your perspective and maybe even reflecting mm. on it now, uh, 
what made them a, a great team? Oh, I think, you know, I think Noddy had them well drilled. I mean, you know, they're pretty fit. That, that a nucleus. I think one thing that you, you've got to look back in over the years of teams that were successful, they had a nucleus. And I look back to the West Victory days, you know, when you look at why teams are so successful, when you can, you can look at lots of different ways, but I think a successful team over a period is a core group of players. And then as a coach and as a club, you add to where you think you need strengthening. And I think Port did that well, uh, where you know, had your Bonitigs, you had your Clares. Yeah. You had a core, core group of players that were there year in, year out, and knew what it meant to be successful. And then, you know, they brought in Ravanellos, they brought in whoever else, you know, at that time, which is some good names and good players, but, you know, they kept that core. Uh, and that, you know, gives them success. Um, you don't have to rebuild and restart and learn new structures, you know. These boys need to fit into your club yeah. rather than, you know, you being at this club need to fit in now to a new system. So I think, and that was sort of something that, you know, the later years at White Eagles, and something that always stuck in my mind. I thought, you can't, I didn't like having change all the time. Um, I just wanted to have that nucleus, keep the boys together, yeah. um, build that, camaraderie build that bond build that friendship and and i think that's a big part of success in the way i saw it as well and uh, when i was researching your interview and and even david grovac's interview it seemed odd to me that um after 2004 that you parted ways of the club or didn't coach so obviously you don't have to discuss it if no, you don't no, want to, but uh, what sort of happened there that um after two well, three odd years of success that you then thought, no, I'm not coaching. Um, I was at the crossroads of my career and had an opportunity to get in, into state. I was single at the time. So there was something that I was looking at doing interstate and I thought, well, if I am going to do that, I can't commit and sign players and do the, the stuff yeah. and then say, oh, look, I'm going. I, I knew that feeling and, you know, and no, no fault of his own, but when David Skeen left us, and, you know, there's just that uncertainty that it leaves a club and a team. Yep. So I thought, you know, we're... We're in a good position. I left him in a better position than when I came in type of thing. So for me, I could sort of walk away knowing I was, I was happy enough to sort of retire and go, well, you know what? I'm happy I did it. I've, I've proved to myself that I can do it. Do it, yeah. And um, the club was in a better position. And, you know, I, I came back to watch him, you know, um, a lot of times, which is hard, but, you know. <laughs> and, and Rob Girardi, uh took over um, uh, and then partway through... Um, the club struggled a bit in that 2005 season and and um you know what happened for for you to come back to the club and and was it was it a hard or easy decision for you to make oh look like i said it's hard to watch him uh i remember at the time i was working in a finance company I was, and i was doing a lot of weekends so and i was working in the albany park area at the time and um one of the guys that i worked with um neil harlock yep um so Neil said, oh, your old team's playing down the road and want to go and watch. I said, yeah, why not? Let's go and watch. So, you know, obviously having a lot of friends there, you walk in and, oh, how you going, Steve? You buy a beer, buy a sandwich. And everyone's sort of, oh, how you going? We're struggling, you know, come back, come back. <laughs> and it was, you know, it's, it's really humbling. It was really nice. And it yeah. gives you that, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling. But, and then, you know, watching the team, I just, to me, it was heartbreaking. I mean, look. Probably no fault of Robbie's. He, it was a, a transition. He, he brought in some players that probably didn't work out for him. He lost some quality. Um, and to watch the club in terms of what we, what I'd been a part of building together, with, with, yeah. um, with everyone, um, sort of slowly falling apart. And there was a chance that, uh, that I think it could be relegation on. Yeah. So it didn't take me long to think about it. They sort of 
I got approached pretty much straight away in that game. Would I be interested? And if I am, they'll give me a call on Monday. And I said, look, I don't want to talk while you've got a coach. I, I found yeah. that um, I don't want to disrespect Robbie. I like, I like Robbie Giraldi, um, you know, admire him as a player. I've got the play against him, actually. So, so to me, it was like, well, you guys make a decision. But yeah, if you need a coach, I'm happy to come back. And, and that was how it sort of happened. Very, very quick. <laughs> and uh, ended up staying up. But um, so in 2006, uh, obviously work commitments had changed that you then stayed on um, again mm-hmm. um, to, to coach. And uh, I guess uh, for a club that was building uh, the second year in a row in from 2005 and now in 2006, they finished 10th. Um, mm-hmm. On reflection, what happened that year? Oh, look, it was, again, um, I don't think... Um, we weren't investing a lot of money. I think there's some money going in the ground and everything else that was happening there. Yep. Um, and look, at the end of the day, I think there was, I don't know what had happened behind the scenes to sponsors that probably didn't come, come good with, with money and whatever it was. But we, we, um, we weren't going out to sign players. I think it was more just to sort of, you know, um, settle, stay in the Premier League. We, we kept faith in a few youngsters, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I guess, you know, the, the league and players sometimes look at, oh, yeah, this club's really not doing well and we weren't that attractive probably to a few players yep. um, after, you know, the previous years doing so well. So it was more of a, you know, um, a bit of a transition, transition you can call it, you know, with players, committee as well. Um, you know, a few guys from the committee that moved on and we, we got some new people in there. And like I said, we kept faith in some of the younger talents. And look, some of the signings we did make didn't work out. Yep. as well so you know there's a there was a combination of things that yeah we'd like to have done better but we had some good results i think we you might have been down to lou that year with um you know with a relatively sort of you know, not average squad but not not nowhere near as good as theirs and is it difficult um uh, when you you play against clubs like that port and dan Delu in in those eras were uh, just super strong their yeah. their committee um you know credit to the the committees involved they gain sponsorships, gain sort of the ability to sign a cavalcade of stars. So is it sort of hard as a, an opposing coach to sort of come against that? It is, it is. Because, you know, back in, your, in the back of your mind, you're going, you know, from a quality point of view, these guys have got, you know, more games, more experience, um, and, and probably, you know, man for man are, are, are better. But, you know, football's that funny game where it evens up, you know, on the pitch. And it's on their day. And I was always, you know... Working that underdog angle with my guys, going, well, you know, we're in the Premier League, we're in the same league. If they're any better, they'll be playing in a higher league. Um, you know, uh, yes, they're, they're successful, but that's the measuring stick. You know, go out there. And, and, and it's, it's amazing. You see it day in, day out. You see it in English Premier League. <laughs> Lower teams lift themselves against better teams. Um, you know, my issue was playing teams in and around us. I think, you know, the boys felt they'll probably, you know, ready to beat some teams and yep. you know we'd had losses against teams that we should have beat so look yeah port were port especially were um you know we've we've not hit them they were um they had their their system down pat and they put you under a lot of pressure and if you make mistakes they make you punish uh, punish you so uh, 2007 uh what a year that was um uh, can you sort of uh i guess sketch through the season um what happened in pre-season the signing of players and why you signed them and Yep. And uh, working with the committee to to sort of uh, I guess be more successful than you had been in the past year and a half as as the as the club coach because it was you know uh, quite a contingent of quality players that came on board with Tolson 
uh, Wicker, O'Brien, Matthews, uh, Mitchell Bowes, uh, uh, he stayed on after yeah. playing in the latter part of 2006. So um, uh, can you talk through that season? Because it was a very fulfilling season for the club and yourself and the players. It was, it was. We spoke, you know, we, the, Michael Grayback, um, he said, yeah, we want to have a, a better season next year. We want to make the semifinals. And, you know, what, what do we need to do? And I said, well, you know, these are the areas we need to strengthen in midfield defence. Mitchell was um, with us in the latter part of 2006. He was working in Brisbane, but flying back here on weekends. So he was training up there and, you know, and, and playing for us. And, um, and he could see, he helped me, you know, he, you know, I'd played with Cord out at um, Kemalawara, so I knew Cord and spoke to Cord and, and we got him over and, um, and Normie Wicker actually, um, I'd known Normie as well and I bumped into Normie at the, at the Shalala Workers Club and I think he was on the outer at Dandaloo and I said, well, why don't you come over and play with us? And um, he said, oh, yeah, okay. And, you know, we're still good mates to, to today, you know, and um, Aaron O'Brien, I rang him. I'd, I'd, I'd admire Aaron O'Brien playing for um, Port and I, I really liked the talent that he had, and yep. I thought if I can coach him, um, I could I could um, get him. And I think he was at the crossroads at the time when I got him. He wasn't keen to play anymore. I think he'd had some injuries. Um, football wasn't going maybe as good as he wanted it to go. So I, I offered him an opportunity to come to a new club and and give us a hand and help build the club. And you know he was he was you know all those boys were you know were, were great signings for us. And Anthony Matthews again he's now been Park Junior. Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't hard to get him over. I think Frankie Zammett and the boys knew him. And, and um, I'd play with Chubbs at, at, at um, Kamalora as well. So, um, yeah, that was our sort of um, link with those guys. And then you had Adam Johnson, who... That was a funny one, how that came about. Yeah. You want me to tell yeah, you about Because uh, some of these guys uh, ended up living with you as well. Yeah, yeah. We, we hung out in this, in this lounge room. And Adam Johnson... I was working in Sydney at the time. I was working for Coca-Cola, so it was... Um, I used to, you know, look after the Bondi area up there and there's always a bit of a rush to get the training. And Mitchell Blows rang me, he said, look, he said, um, one of his mates, Tim Gladhill, that used to play down here um, years ago, yep. he said, a mate of his or from his soccer clubs here in Australia and he's looking for a club, but he's in Sydney and didn't know anybody and he wanted a trial somewhere and he got a hold of Mitch. He said, can you help us out? He said, oh, yeah, we'll tell him to come down. If he's any good, tell him to come down here. So Mitch rang me up and said, look, there's this guy. I said, look, I can't, I don't know where he stays in Sydney. He said, tell him to meet me at Engadine train station. So on the way home, I'll pick him up on the way to training. He can crash out of my house for the night. If he's any good, we'll keep him. If not, we'll work it, uh, we'll send him back. I said, all right. So I remember um, coming home from work, pulling up there, you know, he had the mobile phone. He said, mate, I'm out the front here in a, in a whatever color car I had. And I said, just um, meet me. And he'd come there with his bag. And hello, I'm Adam. How you going? <laughs> and I remember I scared the shit out of him because I was driving, talking on the phone. Um, you know, <laughs> had my laptop out at one stage, and you know, speeding to get the training because we're running late, right? And I'm, I'm the coach. I mean, I've got to get there. So anyway, and um, you turn up the training, and straight away you can see the touch on the ball and his skills, and you got great. And on the way, I was quizzing him: Where'd you play? What position do you play? Where do you prefer to play? Telling him about the league, he's yeah, oh, you know, what is it like a Sunday league? And we're trying <laughs> to compare the divisions to England, yeah. you know, all that stuff. So, but he's just what struck me is was just a really nice guy. He's polite, uh, very quiet. And then, um, yeah, he, the next thing he said, oh well, I've got nowhere to stay, and I was living here on my own. So I said, yep. well, look, I've got a bedroom. You can stay in here. We'll work out the details later on terms yep. of you know renting or whatever you want to do. But you know, um, yeah, and we signed him up on a contract and. Um, 
you know, the, the next thing you know, he was only here for the year. We knew this can only be here for the year and he ended up getting a job, part-time job and yeah, and he did well. He could fill a number of roles for us. He's just very cultured, very, like most, you know, different system obviously in England. Yep. You know, they just their touch on the ball and, you know, he knew where to play the ball. His first touch was great and just a good bloke. Loved to be here as well. So. And uh, I guess, um, again, uh, working then, you obviously had some trust and flexibility with the committee because... He wasn't, I guess, a, a part of the signings pre-season no. and whatnot. But to get someone in of his quality to come in, it, it makes it makes it easier having a committee that will help you do that. Well, yes, and they'll, they'll, you know, and Andre was the other one. Andre Gassisa, yeah. he was the other one. And again, through, through Mitch had known him from Brisbane. They played indoor together. And Andre was, uh, I think, a futsal player. Um, and again, he was um, he was a chef and. I think he was sort of keen to try something different. And Mitch said, oh, why don't you come down? I'll tell the coach. And, you know, again, Andre turned up. <laughs> it's like we looked at him at training. And, well, this guy can play. And they weren't, it wasn't a big money signing. This is where our club was good or where the Wydigals were good. I mean, they'd organised work for these boys. He was a chef and he ended up working at the Harbour Front. who was a sponsor wow. of ours, right? So got a job. And then the next thing, he needed somewhere to stay as well. So grab another bedroom, you know. <laughs> and um, at that time, mum... You know, I remember Andre and his parents and his, his mum's got the same name as mine, Lily, and his mum said, I'll look after my son. And mum was, you know, we all that we did our washing, but you imagine three guys, you know, mum was bringing in, you know, Budex, fresh made food. We always made sure that, you know, they were, we were washed and clean. While we are out at work, she'd come here and vacuum and clean the house. So, yeah, look, they were good boys and they, Andre's got the Serbian background, his dad's Serbian. They were good, good boys in whether they fit, they fitted in, they're away from home. The rest of the team made them feel welcome. Yeah, that's important. And, um, you know, we, we, we all clicked. You know, for me, I was a similar age to those guys. You know, I wasn't too older, but I was single. So I could go out with them after a game, you know, yeah. and have a beer. And to them, it was weird. The coaches out, we're having a drink. And, <laughs> but we celebrated our victories and all that stuff. But, yeah, no, that, that, they were a good addition to the team. And we didn't have to break the bank. And that was an up-and-down season. You ended up finishing six, and it was a top eight. Um and then I think in the latter part of that season, um, Arthur Dillis and and uh, Sagi Edraro were signed up as well. Was that sort of a, a conscious decision by you and the committee to go, well, we can do something in this final series? Yeah. Oh, look, in the first half of the year, Travis, we weren't travelling too well. Um, we needed to be better and we weren't. I think our know, lack of goals was one thing that was costing us a little bit. Um, and we basically... Um, it was a wet day and we trained. We went to Beaton Park, I remember. It was like a, a, two games before the end of the first round it was, somewhere around that. And we went to Beaton Park. We did a pool session and then we ended up going to college. I said, well, we're going to have a team beer and drink. And we just sat down and all the boys were just talking. to said, what is it? What, what are we going to do? You know, we're going to get some signings. Uh, you know, we shouldn't be where we are. We yeah. need to turn things around. We can't keep just talking about it, blah, blah, blah. And we, you know, I, th- I remember we, th- we think we did some extra sessions. And... Arthur Dillis has brought some stability at the back. I mean, you looked at him, you think, oh, this guy can't move. He's, he's a heavy boy, but he was just so talented, left and right foot, can read the game. Um, and, and he brought in, he was, he was stuck on his coaching junior with juniors, so he sort of, you know, brought in some different drills to me. And, and, and um, yeah, so he was a really good cog. He brought with him um, Costa Legadarkis. Um, he was a, a mate of his. And Costa couldn't play every week due to work and stuff. Costa was a very talented midfielder, um, and Asagi was great. It was just a great addition. Um, and he became Asagovic. 
at the end of the day. <laughs> we still keep in touch to today. And I think if you ever get a chance to speak to Sagi, he'll tell you one of his best times down he was playing for our club. Um, that's why he sort of came back the year after. Um, but yeah, in that second round, um, we didn't lose a game. On, and we think we were pretty confident we went through undefeated yeah, in that I'll second round. Um, and, you know, obviously snuck into the semis and, and then did some, some good stuff in there. Well, what do you recall uh, um, of that semi-final series and the grand final? Because there were some strong teams that you then uh, dispatched on the way. And um, uh, from talking to others and, and David Groback mm. as well, uh, can you talk us um, in that grand final, the, uh, the pre-game speech that you made? Because, um, um, mm. you know, it's supposed to be a, a cracker. <laughs> I'm still trying to remember the bits of it. So, you know, <laughs> my speech has come out on that day or in that moment, you know. And, and it's so just it's a, more just improv in your mind? Well, or... it's very much improv and it's very much a feel of what's happened within the week and what's yep. what's happening, you know. And it's just trying to adjust the mindset of, of, of players rather than just saying words. Um, and then for me, that's where the passion comes in and that's where the enjoyment comes in because it's, I'm very much a in-the-moment now um, what's happening and trying to yep. uh, gain advantage out of that moment um, as much as you can and for me it was um, look you know the first semi-final I was talking to George um, the president of, don't know his surname from Picton really lovely guy yep. and we were talking to him uh, the other day he obviously didn't recognise him you know, look a lot different these days to when I did uh, coaching and we talked about that um, run that semi-final where you know Picton had um, Reedy's Luffs yeah um, you know, um, the left foot in the midfielder, it was, uh, it was a really a tough midfielder in, in there. Anyway, they had a very, very good, good, strong squad. And we, I remember playing it, we played at Terry Reserve and Costa Lagadaka scored a cracker to get us back into the game and then got sent off. Um, so he missed the rest of the semi-final and grand final campaign. But um, we won on penalty shootouts. Mitchell Blows, I think, pulled off three penalty saves and, and, um, that sort of catapulted us. You know, momentum is a big thing in yeah, sport, definitely. right? And, and, and it sort of shifted the belief in the team. I could see the shift going, well, hang on. We can probably do this, you know. And, yeah. and then I think the next game we, we absolutely annihilated Port. Which was a big result at yeah. the time. Yeah, and that, and that was just a, for us, again, that momentum and belief really um, became one. And for me as a coach, it was easy. I just needed to steer that ship and keep on that course with the boys. You know, from a um, training point of view, we didn't do anything too drastically different. We just worked on our... I was a firm believer of working on our shape, getting that right, getting our set players right, understanding what we were about more so than what the other team was doing. I yeah. never really focused on the other teams. I focused on what we could do. And if we can do what we do well, um, we'll focus on the team when it comes to half-time, you know, <laughs> and, and to make adjustments. So we sort of rode the wave and then the port game um you know really made us feel that hey we can go on with this and that gave us a real good momentum and impetus to to to, to move forward and then you know get into the grand final the speech i think was from memory is more around the lines of you know no one believed that we can get here i think everyone in the program wrote us off yeah um, well, from Bull the coaches when in, when in had alston they had a, a good players they were favorites they had a great year um, we were had an up and down inconsistent year i was a Again, unknown coaching compared to Adrian Alston. Um, so it was a mix of that in the fact that, well, you know, we deserve to be here. Um, it's not like we're here yeah. by any fluke. We've done it the hard way. They're expected to be here and they're expected to win. Um, and, and for us, it was no... We didn't need to feel pressure. The pressure was on them to win, um, not on us to, to lose. 
And, and you know, the boys, you know, I just read the comments and I put a couple of comments, you know, oh, yeah, you know, 3-1 score lines, 3-0 score lines, we'll get beaten, all that stuff. And it was just more, but we prepared well. We knew that our preparation was well. We knew we were fit enough. We knew yep. we were good enough. We got together. We had a team breakfast. We went down. We had a team walk on the beach. We talked about our tactics. We did everything right in our preparation um, to feel confident enough to get into there and, 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 and get the result. And, you know, and the rest is history. We, we proved we were good enough. And, and what was the final scoreline? 2-0, I think it was. Yeah, 2-0. Um, and two good goals. Um, you know, I think Azza, did Azza get one? Aaron O'Brien got one. Who else got the other one? Might have been Adam Johnson got one. Or Anthony Matthews might have got one, I think. One of the Matthews boys and, got one. And for yourself, um, as a coach, do you feel more comfortable knowing that your preparation was good? Um, that you then go into a game where you don't have to think that you've got to make decisions or changes to change the game? Yeah. Oh, look, it was... <sighs> Bundle of nerves. It's like when yeah. you're playing, okay? Butterflies, bundle of nerves, yeah. don't eat, you know, you you know, you go to the toilet a hundred times, you you know, you, you, you get, a million things go through your head, right? But you know, for me it was um I knew the way they'd play and the way Alston played. He didn't really vary his uh, approach to playing football and you know, it was successful for him. So we knew where we could sort of exploit him. And I think during the year we'd beat him at home as well. So we knew we could, you know, beat him. Um, but for me, um, it was believing in what we could do. We had some talent and we knew we could play football. And if we could move the ball around, we knew that we'd be um, difficult for them to stop. Yeah. Okay. And again, it was one of those things that if we'd scored um, first, that momentum, it, um, that belief builds. Um, and, and, and that's what happened. I mean, and look, vocal support, massive yeah. crowd, um, which is, you know, obviously helps as well. It gives you nerves, but it helps as well when you you know they're cheering and urging you on so that extra bit legs that you need you know you comes from the crowd and but look it was for me as a coach and I thought you think about these things afterwards you didn't think about after the game but it was great to beat Adrian Olsen in a grand final you know, yeah. I've got praise for Adrian Olsen but you know for me as a coach to pit myself against someone that had all these trophies and titles <laughs> and all these um you know, he played for Australia. He's, he's a professional player. I played at All Fab Shalaba, and <laughs> you know, I wasn't uh, any any superstar player. But it was, I don't know. It, it just sort of reinforces that oh, maybe you can do this, and maybe you know, you, you do belong amongst these guys, and you know, you give yourself a little bit more credit because you're always looking at the fact that you know, you try and pit yourself against better better player, um, yeah, better players, and better coaches in your career. And that's what I did. And. Uh... That feeling, I guess, of exhilaration of winning, um, I guess you'd seen it now. It was a bit more consistent in that latter part of your career up until mm. that point. You know, you'd had success at Kemble Warrior. Mm. You'd taken Albion Park White Eagles in the first year in the conference to a league and then a grand final win. Now to to get this IPL trophy, uh, it must have just been a phenomenal feeling for yourself and, and everyone involved because it was really a team effort. It was, but it was. Committee, supporters, everyone. Yes, it was definitely. I mean, look, you know, the White Eagles is, 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 is never one person and never one star player. It was everybody off the field, on the field, you know, coaches, assistants. You know, we had, you know, a guy there called Pale who, you know, was an ex-coach there back in the day, um, you know, was helping us, you know, get the water bottle for the boys, fill up the drinks. You know, one of those guys that you all, yeah. every club has. 
um, you know, to, to that, you know, just having water ready for the boy, all that stuff, um, you know, culminated. And, you know, to see this, the faces, I think, everything after the game was a blur, you know, in the sheds, all that stuff, you yeah. know, beers flowing. But getting back to the Serbian church in Atchison Street in their hall, um, that really hit home of how much it meant to that club. And I talked about it earlier, it was at the Portuguese club. This was that yeah. similar feeling, you know, music, food, yeah. drink. Beautiful supporters you know we were like you know superstars here everyone wanted a piece of you everyone wanted to talk to you everyone wanted to hug you and kiss you and so it was euphoric and that to me i remember having a moment then i used to smoke then i remember going outside having a cigarette having a moment to myself thinking to myself this is what it's about it wasn't about me winning the ipl trophy it wasn't yeah. about it was the the joy that you saw in everybody the smiles that you thought well you know i've brought joy to these people wow and that was it was a feeling that, I don't know, you can't explain, but it was just inside. And I thought, well, it was great. And seeing the players being happy for all the work that they did. So it spurs you on to want to do that yeah. more. Well, I guess 2008, um, uh, you tell me where you want to talk about this yeah. this phenomenal year. But I, I guess, uh, obviously, invigorated everyone in the club 2007, the grand final win. But, you know, um, I've said this in the podcast before. I'm a, a, a European or South American in the sense that mm. I want to... I want to win the league. Grand finals are great, and mm. I've won, been lucky to win a couple. Um, but winning the league is more satisfying because you play everyone home and away. So was that your, I guess, objective going in, going, well, we need to really have a good yeah. crack at this? Yeah, it was. We, we, we felt, I felt in 2007 we had the nucleus of um, what could be a better team. And my thing was then to sort of start culling the reliance on out-of-town players. Um, Adam Johnson said, look, I'm going, I'm not coming back. And, you know, we sort of had a massive farewell here at my place. Half the street was blocked off. <laughs> we had DJs, we had paellas, we had water slides, you name it. It was um, So we sent him off in the right way. But it, we, we looked at it. We lost Cord Tolson. Um, you know, he went to Crinney um, at that time, um, probably for whatever, whatever reason. Um, so we retained Mitch. And, and then um, Jordan Orlando... He was at our club back, I think, in 2004 or 5. He was a, a Wolves... When Ben Blake turned up, yep. Ben said, there's a good young kid in the youth grade, I think, might be good for us. And Jordan, he was still young then, but he scored a few goals for us. And Mick Pradanovic had a bottle shop at the time, put him into work there. So he was earning money and he was away from home. So we actually bumped in. I bumped into Jordan at the North Gong. He was back in town. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm back in town. I want to play. And so we quickly got him and signed him up. And we got Chrissy Smith out of a relegated Willow Wanderers. Yeah. Um, we got Adam Martin out of relegated Rural Wanderers, um, and the rest were there. And then Adam Johnson turns up at my doorstep. I'm back <laughs> for another crack. And so that year was, um, I think, when you when you look at a year where everything runs smoothly, we we knew that to be serious and be to be treated as a serious club. You need to win the comp. Yeah, you know, Porter showed sure. that for years. You need to win the comp. And grand finals were great, but we needed to win the comp. And, you know, not to say we're chasing the double, but we knew we'd be there, thereabouts, but we needed to be more consistent. And and that just clicked. I mean, pre-season, I think our pre-season was that great, but we played the Wolves. Uh, we'd done well against the Wolves at home. A uh, few of the boys had benefited from playing in our system. We played a 3-5-2 system. I was very adamant of, you know, playing on the ground, um, we had the talent to do that. I was very adamant playing attacking football. I knew that, you know, I was on the mindset of, even though being a goalkeeper, 
not to be defensive, yep. um, and not to bring pressure in, but to bring pressure onto teams and, 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 and attack at every opportunity we could, which left us vulnerable sometimes. But, you know, with the three at the back that we played, you know, when you're looking at, we had, you know, we signed Pegler, uh, Nathan Pegler, who I had him in my Illawarra team on, in 2007 um, when I was coaching the Illawarra team at the end of that season. And um, he'd moved in Albion Park, so he turned up at training. It was re- interesting in 2008 where pre-season went, a cast of players turning up the training that previous <laughs> years we couldn't wait to beg to turn up. So I had then a plethora of choice to say, well, sorry, I've got that position covered yeah. and that and all that stuff. So, and we kept, again, that core group of players. And, you know, we didn't really add too much more and it just worked. And that team that year, socially, spent a lot of time here at this place. Uh, socially, um, the boys became really good mates. I remember we had a table tennis table in my garage. We had table tennis tournaments. We had Wimbledon nights. We were all dressed <laughs> as white. Uh, we had Mexican nights. Um, but we're all together, like partners, players. You know, we'd go to Normie Wicker's house for, you know, a barbecue. And Aaron O'Brien went to his wedding, all the boys. So we became a, a close-knit family, um, the, the, the boys, and there was no animosity. I'd sort of read the rules in terms of we had a very strong reserve grade side, I had a squad of sort of 18 training with me and the rules was you weren't disciplined, you didn't turn up the training or you did something wrong, you go back and train with the reserve guard until you can show enough and somebody else comes in. So and the boys respected me, which was great. But the other thing was that team there, if I said to them, we do a Wednesday night, do three nights a week, they did a three night a week. Um, they wanted to be better. They wanted to be fitter. We brought in, a, I brought in a sprint coach. Um, I brought in, you know, better physios, um, sports people from the uni that could sort of, you know, see what we're doing at training, stretching. And we, we, we tried, I thought we need to go to another level and how can I? And off the park was something that I thought I could fix a little bit better than what's been happening rather than someone running out with a bucket of water or a water <laughs> bottle. We need to understand and prevent injuries. So, yeah, you know, that was a massive thing and get your better players back on the field. Just worked, it just worked. It was just a really good year. And as the year went on and it looked more and more likely, had there been sort of direct communication amongst you and the players um, to say, well, this is our, our focus. We're not semi-finals. We're not just grand final. We want to be league champions. Yeah, we didn't really talk much about it, but we, I, I, I think it was one of those silent things where we knew we were well, um, we were good, but we needed to be better um, every week. And we needed to improve our football. So there was an improvement element about the boys. I mean, the sessions that they put in, and I remember I've spoken to David Graham and the boys, you know, we used to do one-touch sessions there on a Thursday that you just, you sit back then and you just have to admire it. You go, wow. And one-touch is not easy to do. Hi. But, you know, one-touch where they're getting together combinations of eight to ten passes and really training like they wanted to play. So you've got to give the boys a lot of credit. They were professional semi-professionals they really wanted to work harder but you know like i said to them work hard at training i'll drink with you afterwards you know we'll, we, you can have party afterwards but put the effort in yeah. and they did you know we trained three nights striker training you know crossing shooting you know and if i thought we weren't good enough during the week or we we, we let it slip i'd say right we're training wednesday or you know and the boys would tell you i'd keep them till quarter to nine they go, you know, Macheski trained till eight o'clock. Bullshit, it's been nine o'clock. And <laughs> it became a bit of a joke, but I wasn't satisfied. And I'd ask them, I go, what do you think of what you did? Oh, not good enough. Let's keep doing it until we can get it right. So it was a push from me, but 
they got to reciprocate and they did that, you know, 100%. And, and we lost two games in a row and it coincided with David Gravett getting married. So yeah, he, he mentioned you know, that. He, we lost to Fernhill, who were a very good side. Payne had him um, playing a very good um, brand of football. We lost at home to them and we, and we lost to William United, which we, you know, was just one of those games we got an injury and we shouldn't have lost to William United either, but we did. And then steady the ship back up and, you know, and the rest was history. And I, you know, the only disappointing thing for me is that towards the end of the season, I'd rested some players, there was some injuries, and we finished off with draws. Uh, I think we could have won the league by a lot more. It would probably be greedy, but we, yeah. we we sort of tape it off and then picked it back up again, you know, come semi-final time. So do you remember the game where you did win the league and, and what was it? was, it was against and, and what, what did it feel like for you? Dapto at home, it was euphoric. Um, you know, we needed to point. And we ended up getting a point. I think we were losing and then we were leading and then we drew. And, two, and, I, and the one thing I do remember is that Football South Coast came with 2017 champions, but it was 2018. <laughs> so we had to quickly do, get some black tape yeah. and make the seven look like an eight. If you see the photos, you'd, you'd yeah. see what I mean. But look, euphoric. You know, like we just won the league in Premier League. It was... Um, and I did it with a good mate of mine, Tony Sekolosky, who was, was my assistant coach. And we always said as players, we played together, that one day we'll coach together and, 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 and do things that we we wanted to have done when we were players. Um, you know, the way we coach players and the way we treated them yeah. and, and all that stuff. And that's, I think, the element that we brought to the boys. We brought a bit of fun. Like We both enjoyed a beer. We both, both enjoyed... Um, enjoy the fruits of our labour. And that was the one thing that we did. We The boys trained hard. They played hard, they did well, they played some beautiful soccer scores, some beautiful goals. It was really a pleasure to watch. And sometimes, you know, you have these out-of-body experiences, you go like, is this really the team that I'm coaching? Like, <laughs> are you sure that I'm the coach? Because they play some, some really great football. And uh, did it change really your thinking or even the clubs that your league champions, you're now going to a final series where after what you did the year before in the series and now in the league that, you guys are the favourites and everyone expects you to win? Yeah, we, 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 we sort of had that favourite tag on our shoulder, but that changed. Um, but look, we we knew that we were good enough to win the double. I think we had some injuries and you know, a few of our key players were out in a few of those semi-final matches. The good thing about this squad was we could shuffle players around. And like yep. Adam Johnson could fill in up front with Aaron O'Brien and still we wouldn't miss a beat. Um, so we could, we could make changes... Um, where if Chris Smith and, and Jordan Lando, although they a ma- major part of what we did in terms of finishing off the great work the rest of the boys did, we could live without them. Chris was struggling with some injuries and, and Jordan and, and, and put you know Aaron O'Brien in that up front and wouldn't miss a beat because the, the structures were there. Yeah, um, yeah and getting back, we, we think we, we knew we were a good chance of winning it. And I think the defining moment for us is we had a, a pre-grand final dinner at um, Villadora. And um, that week we spoke about the boys, you know, what we can do to make ourselves, what's the one percenters that we can do to make ourselves, put ourselves in the best position to win this grand final. And one of it was we just need to stay off the drink all week. And we knew we were coming up to this dinner and there was free drinks and stuff. Yep. And we said, look, it's a pact, coaches, players, everyone involved. I know I can't be there with them all the time. Let's just make, yeah. make sure we don't, we don't drink this week. Get alcohol out of our system. And I think I said something like, if we win it, man, I'll buy his um, leaders and leaders and leaders of the stuff. So don't worry about it. Let's just focus on this. And and I remember the Mercury report at the time, might have been Zelenardo, that picked up on it. We were at this function at the Villa Dora, so Football South Coast organised it. Yeah. Um, John Fleming um, was getting interviewed. Adrian Olsen was on stage. Peter Beggs and myself um, were getting interviewed. Um, 
you know, I'd be out the game. But my players didn't drink a drop of alcohol. And, and I remember getting a phone call from the Mercury um, the day before the grand final when they were doing their lift down. He said, um, or during the week, actually, it might have been the, 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 the Wednesday. Anyway, he, he said to me, um, I noticed something about your boys last night. I said, what's that? He says, um, was that a plan that your boys didn't drink any alcohol? Because they were all on the Sprites and the Cokes. <laughs> I said, oh, well, you know, I didn't really say much about it. I didn't want them to print anything. I said, oh, well, that's up to them, you know, um, yeah. what they do. They're probably just trying to get their bodies right. He goes, well, the poor boys were getting into the beers and into the food. And so my boys did that well. And then they sat down to hear us getting interviewed on stage. And um, and it became, um, you know, and rightfully so, that guy's got a lot of story to talk about, the Alston and Fleming discussion, you know. And I was just peripheral to it, sitting there listening to them. And they were, you know, talking about their careers in England. They were getting asked questions. And, you know, I remember Begsy just giving me the elbow going, don't worry about it, son, you'll beat him on the weekend, it's okay. You know, like, you know, give me a bit of, you know, encouragement and support. Um, you know, I had a few things to say and um, I didn't notice it at the time, um, but, you know, I think, you know, Olsen was talking about, you know, got asked about the coaches and up and coming coach and he said, oh, that, uh, that guy from Albion Park, you would forgotten my name and all that stuff, but that, it was okay. I, I, would, yeah. I wasn't just one as, of those things. One of those things. I wasn't offended by it, but a few of my players picked up on it. So when I came back off the stage, my boys were livid. They were absolutely fired up. And I remember, I think it might have been even David Graver, but someone was saying, mate, they showed you so much disrespect up there, coach, you know, like blah, blah, blah. You know, it's all about them. It's all about, you know, this and that. And they were fired up. So I left it at that. <laughs> and I said, right. And we all exited, really. We, we left pretty quickly. We didn't have a late night. And we all exited. Next day at training, the boys are like, you know, that's it. You know, we're, we're going to show them, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, yeah, and obviously, you know, we, we got to the game. Our preparation was good. You know, although... Um, we got, you know, a bit of a setback, but, you know, that became, you know, the spirit and the, and, and the boys had the spirit and the, and the never say die attitude to win. And they wanted to do it, yeah. uh, you know, a little bit for me and wanted to do it for themselves and to prove to themselves. And like I said to them, I think before the game, you can talk about speeches. I remember just saying to them, you know, everyone gets judged on the double, you know, Port have yeah. done it, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is your opportunity. You might not get that again as a football player. We all play football to True. be in these moments. This is your moment. Some of these are at the wrong age, you know, of, of, of the 30s and some, you know, you might never get another chance to be in this. I might not get another chance. Let's just savour that moment and go out there and really enjoy it. Not have the nerves, but really, you know, enjoy it. And, you know, the boys, like I said, that, that year was very good from a coaching point of view because I, I, they listened to everything, absorbed everything I told them. Might not have, <laughs> might not have agreed with everything, but they respected <laughs> it, right? And uh, for the listeners' perspective, the, the, the grand final was against them. What was the score like? 2 1. 2 1. Um, I think Port got up to a 1 0 lead. Um, we missed a penalty. David Gravett missed a penalty. Jordan Lando, um, Robbie Cazzoli, you know, as he, he was always known to be a very good, strong defender, um, was in, whether it was a tactic or something, you know, some people say it was a tactic, but look, at the end of the day, he, you know, it was a really strong tackle. And Jordan Lando, I remember on the sideline having back spasms and going, I can't play, I'm gone, I'm gone. That was early in the game. Yeah. Um, we got him, we rubbed him down and, you know, got him back on. And then he scored a really determined goal to get us back in there. And it was, you know, a bit of an arm wrestle. Um, with them and but you know Chrissy Smith scored a, a superb goal. We thought yeah. we missed our chance at the penalty, but then Chrissy Smith scored a good goal, um, you know, to seal the victory. And yeah, and we and, you know towards the end 
like every team, we wanted to preserve the lead. I was fortunate enough that I could bring on, you know, centre halves like Nathan Pegler, you know, come and close off the game. We had a really good, strong bench. You know, the young Ricky Goodchild. Yeah. Um, you know, he was only just just coming through the ranks there. He gave him some experience. But look, the boys, I, I mean, you know, weren't going to let it slip, and certainly weren't going to let it get the extra time. And look, it was a just reward and a culmination of what was a a very good year all round from a club supporter um, sponsorship. And I remember the post um, grand post grand final celebrations were big at Collies. And um, I'd only just started dating, who's now my wife at the time, um, who's of a Serbian background, um, and it had no relation to do with the soccer, but I remember dragging her to the celebrations and she was like, you've never been involved in soccer. I went, wow, okay, this is pretty big. <laughs> um, but, you know, we went to Panorama House after that um, and Nick had organised it and yeah. a, a night for us, just for us, a table, maybe looking at a spectacular view whatever you can drink, all the finest scotches and that on there, the food would come out. We felt like kings. But, you know, that was a repayment from the club and our supporters yeah. for the, the enjoyment that we brought them and the success that we brought, you know. And that's when it becomes that sort of full circle and the players are going, well, you know, fruits of our labour. It wasn't about how much you were getting paid. You felt that you were, you know, part of something special. And the year before, you'd had the Illawarra squad, which would have mm. been an achievement in itself. Mm. But... Um, being the then the uh, IPL or Premier League Coach of the Year, that that must have been. Um, although, as as we're talking mm. here, you're a very giving coach, mm. and you know whether it be assistant or Mitchell Blows mm. or the committee, you're always open to ideas mm. and and letting others be part of the journey as mm. as the head coach. It must have been satisfying to get that one-on-one recognition. Oh, it was for me from a personal point of view. Um, yeah, it was it was rewarding because you know I was up against you know again you know some some real season campaigners and guys that have um, been there and done that. So to be voted the best coach, and I get these things come down to results, and you know sometimes the best coach might not get that award. You know that's it's achieved something with a, yeah. a team of nobodies and, 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 and finished in the semi-finals and whatever. But look, for me, it was. Um, I think, you know, the rewards, again, it was, even though it was an individual award, and it was a reward, an award, I think, that came about because of the club and all the work that, that happened and, and the players. I mean, you know, in no coach can get an award without the players. But to me, I've always doubted my ability, and that's probably my, my biggest downfall, that I don't um, give myself enough credit about what I do. But it, that sort of rubber stamp, and I remember, again, my, um, my wife, it was my girlfriend at the time, she came to dinner, she said, babe, you know, you know, you deserve this, you know, it's, it's an, an achievement award. So, yeah, humbling. Um, and, and, you know, to me, I think every coach deserves the Coach of the Year Award because what you have to go through oh, in the whole year um, and, and, and do that, I think everybody deserves some awards. So, look, it was great to get that acknowledgement. That's one of those things that goes down that you, you say, well, I would have liked the trophy than a vase, but, you know, that's the only gripe <laughs> I've got on that. But, oh, look, it was, it was good. I've done it. I'd done it before in the, uh, well, got it before in the, um, in the, in the conference. I got the yeah. coach of the, um, right. the year there. Well, look, obviously we had a great year. And, and to me, it was good, but I thought, you know, look, we won the league undefeated. So, who, who, you know, they could have either given it to me or Barney. Barney had a yeah. good year that year. But um, this year was, even though we'd won the league, it was still, there was good coaches there around. So, oh, look, happy for that. I was more disappointed that Chrissy Smith just missed out the Michael Sandalab on Play of the year. I think Chrissy Smith had a great year, and you know he, he probably deserved it. But you know, not saying Michael didn't either. Michael Sandler's a, a fantastic player. And I had him in the Illawarra team with me as well. So, and a very good person to boot. 
the next couple of years, um, I guess, weren't as, as satisfying, satisfying in 2010 and 11. But um, did that, um, uh, or I think it was, yeah, 9 and 10, 2009 and 10, you weren't as successful, but you were still there and about yeah. and, and still, uh, I guess, being relatively successful. But um, is that then, uh, I guess, a disappointment of potentially opportunities missed because you'd evolved as a coach, uh, you knew what it took to be successful, you had quality players mm. and probably other clubs are still fighting like Dandaloo and the like are still coming at you? Yeah, oh, look, that, those years were probably the years that I, I had to probably coach more or, yep. or put more thought into my coaching, if that makes sense. Um, we'd lost a lot of players. Obviously, Chris Smith um, got poached by Dandaloo and, you know, and, you, know you, you, you couldn't deny... Um, him the opportunity in terms of you know the guy was going to uni you know obviously you know financial it was a benefit to him to go there we lost a couple of players Jordan um, left Mitchell I think went to state league so we'd have to bring we had to bring in a few players I think we brought in Steve Dimmy um, you know we brought in brought in a few boys so again that culture and shape these boys need to fit in um, but you know we, we continued then I had you know uh, we had to work with some players like um, from our second team to bring them through and bring them up um, in there because I think the club weren't going to keep sort of spending money they had some plans on um, yeah. you know doing stuff again to Terry Reserve and so forth so we weren't I think overly committed financially, maybe um, to, to to that cause, but we knew we still had the nucleus of a good squad in terms of we still had that, you know, the Gravax, the um, you know Adam Johnson had left, but we still had the Wickers, the Gravax, um, you know Andre Gasset was still there, Harvey Rodriguez was still there, so we still had a, a nucleus, and look, you know, we did well. Uh, I think injuries, we weren't that deep in the squad, and we didn't have um, probably as many match winners um, as we liked. Um, as a, a Brian had went to Tarot as well, yeah. you know, he had two good years with us and, you know, got poached back to Tarot when he was living next door to the field. So <laughs> I, I think he had enough of driving to Albion Park. Um, but, um, yeah, look, we, the good thing is that we we still kept amongst the, the top sides. And it, look, it's hard for anyone to keep up with Daniel at that time, you know. Yeah. Um, so for us to still be within that, company and, and not getting thrashed and not having to battle relegation we're still there thereabouts and still playing some good football yeah we probably lost some games that we shouldn't have and th threw away some points but like I said there's probably more um, more dedication to coaching uh, you know not that I wasn't dedicated but more thought process going into yeah. you know what can we do to make these guys better now and, 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 and not start again but yeah try and improve them do you think those uh, two years even after success in seven and eight that that 2009 and 10 were probably more fulfilling years as a coach because you were, you know, developing reserve graders or youth mm. graders and and the squad wasn't as deep, so you had to be more more tactically minded and, yeah. and work things out from that perspective. Yeah, that, that did bring more of a, a tactical view to my game um, rather than being naive and going, yeah, we're just going to score five goals and, and win 5-3. It, 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 it made me, you know, think a game um, in two halves and rethink, you know, shape and rethink, um, you know, closing off a game. Those things yeah, started playing a, a lot more. And obviously, you mature more as a coach, like you do as a player and stuff. And, um, yeah, and then bringing up players, that was one thing that, um, you know, I probably saw players that were a bit like myself that I knew had the ability but just needed that arm around them from a coach to, to give them the, the love to say, mate, look, you're good enough to make it. I just need you to be more consistent. And, and I've always had that approach now yep. moving forward because 
I think we get carried away in trying to find the the diamonds rather than the than the un, un, unpolished and uncut ones. Yep. You know, and and there's a lot in the clubs, and and for me it was just trying to use. I remember Steve Dimitrescu's brother Nick. Um, you know, he played. He was. He, I put him centre half, and he was played a bit there. But the, the the guy killed it. You know, did really well for us. He was committed. I gave him the opportunity. It was just like you know, to give someone a first grade jersey yeah. and them and them respecting that and wanting to play for it. And, and, and growing an extra leg was so fulfilling as a coach then yeah, rather than the result. And I remember his brother saying, oh, you know, thanks. My brother's like, you know, flying. And their two brothers playing in, in first grade. So, look, there was different stories from out that year. Tactically, you know, um, you know, we, we changed midfield shape versus certain teams to nullify. So it was good, but I had smart players too. You know, guys like, again, Steve Dimmies, your, your Harvey Rodriguez, your, your, your David Grabax, all those guys sort of knew what I wanted and, and could execute the plan. Um, so to speak. But yeah, look, they were the growing years as a coach. But from a club point of view, we still wanted to be there. And I think for me, it was to prove that we weren't a one-hit wonder and you know, or yeah. had that just two years and we we're now going to go away because the money's dried up. But we're, we're, we're looking at, you know, still... And for me, it was really important to keep the club in that trajectory. Yeah. Uh, 2011, uh, you got married and, and resigned. So was that just a, a deliberate choice to say, hey, I need to focus on my relationship. Yeah. When I coach, I coach. Yeah. And um, if I do that, well, then I can't be fully focused in what I need to be. Was it just as simple as that? It's as simple as that, Travis. Um, for me, it's either I'm all in or I'm not. Yeah. And, you know, my current club could probably testify to that. But I just think in that job, if you're really going to be fair income, it's not part-time. And, um, you know, it's, it, I've never done it for the money. And, you know, it's, it's I've never been the highest paid in probably never will I never did it for the money I probably spent most of the money before I got it you know on players and yep. and stuff like that look I got married late in, in life and probably yep. you know for whatever reason you know focusing on soccer and focusing on work and never bothered to you know have to go down that road and then you know you'll, you you find you know someone special and then it was like right you know I'm getting I'm getting married and you know, I, I laugh at my players now. I say to them, you know, don't book anything at September or don't book holidays and don't do that. But, you know, my wedding was booked in September. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, look, for me it was I knew there'd be a lot of distractions and I didn't need to be distracted yeah. going into a season that wasn't going to be right for the club. It wasn't going to be right for for anybody involved. So I politely stepped down and, and sort of annoyed my assistant, Tony Namoski, who assisted me that year and, you know, we got along really well and, um, you know, I, I told, I said to the club, I said, you know, give, give Tony the opportunity um, to coach and the club was good good to do that. So, yeah, and that's, that was the only reason, you know. Look, I missed it, you know, yeah. and um, but it was probably good for me to sort of, you know, step back as well and, and just focus on me and my life, you know. 2012, uh, clearly you weren't coaching, but at some point uh, Wollongong United... Uh, uh, coached you out of that and you coached them for half the year so um, uh, how and, and why did that opportunity arise? I think they um, were sacking John Fleming or, or sacked John Fleming and I had Peter Rutkowski who I'd coached in juniors at Shell Harbour him yeah, and Strebray Doloski both Strebray Doloski was our goalkeeper and Peter Rutkowski was our sweeper um, or, or defender but um, yeah he look he just repeatedly kept ringing me and ringing me and ringing me and ringing me and I just kept saying no um, I wasn't ready to come back I thought if I come back I'd go to the White Eagles um, you know I'd, I wasn't really missing it that much I was yeah. really focused on my work and just got married you know uh, th- there wasn't an, a motivation to go 
And my, my, my wife said to me, she goes, look, you know, if you want to do it, do it. And I'd, I'd remember, you know, saying to Pete, yeah, if you give me this much, I'll do it, you know, type of thing. Goes, yeah, you know. Anyway, we, we, we ended up getting, um, coming to agreement. But, you know, then, then again, it, it brought me down. My dad used to come and watch a lot. He never watched me when I was playing as much as he did when I was coaching. All right, so, and then to coach a club that was close to my dad's heart and my family's heart, so my uncle's yeah. still involved there, and a club that I supported as, yeah, as, as a kid, it was, again, one of those, there's an opportunity here for me to do something. Um, I looked at the roster that they had. I sort of didn't know some of the Sydney players that they had. I knew that, you know, I've coached the Matthews boys before. Um, and, you know, they were just outside the top four or five, I think mid-table when they when they sacked Flamo. And I brought Tony Namoski along with me and thought, hey, let's give this a crack. Let's see how we go. I've never been in a situation where, or, or, or I had with the White Eagles, yeah. had a little bit of experience, but in a new club, don't know anyone. But, you know, the soon made me feel welcome. You know, the Strapaloo and his son Peter and, you know, um, it, it, look, it, they're a good club. They're successful in terms of what they do of, because of the hard work, like every other club off the field that they do. Yeah. Um, but again, that was an opportunity for me to have a look at the current squad. They had some boys from Sydney that weren't turning up and I you know, dropped them much of the president's dismay and they were complaining to the president. And, you know, I mean, I got in the middle of winter and it was raining and guys not turning up the training. I'm like, how can I make this team better when they're not training, you know? So I've got kids out of youth grade. So Mark Every. Got him out of youth grade. You know, Joel Taddeo got him out of youth grade. Um, young young, um, young Toskowski, I got him out of, um, um, I think Danny, is it? Oh, his dad's Danny. Um, got, got him out of youth grade um, and won the Bamper Cup with these kids, yeah. you know, um, played through the Bamper Cup with them. You know, got him and drafted him in. And Ricky Goodchild was there. I'd, had, um, I'd worked with him. I, I made Ricky um, captain. Um, you know, made him grow up very quickly, you know. Captain, he was young then. He was going, why make me captain? So you're going to be captain. You're going to lead some of these young boys around. So really focused on working with the younger guys. And, you know, all, all I did was what I'd known before. I wanted to work on this sort of final third, make him a bit more potent. We had Brian Montanari there, who I, I saw him, but he was a really good trainer, good kid, good player. And I knew we could get some goals. Cool goals, yeah. Yeah, and defensively, we weren't that strong. Um, but we still had some, 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 some okay defenders. So... And then it just sort of worked. And we, I think at one stage we were leading the comp. And then, you know, we sort of fell off, fell off um, towards, petered off towards the end there, a few injuries and stuff like that. But we made the semis and... And, you know, I th- and to break the, the 34-year <laughs> yeah. drought. And like you said, there was a, a childhood club for you as well mm. and a connection. It must have been uh, a pretty cool th- feeling as well. It was a cool feeling, but it's a surreal feeling. Because I remember going into the, the dressing sheds, the away dressing sheds after the, the game and, and giving Harvey and, and, and um, Adam Martin and David Gravak a hug and that, you know, because yeah. I still kept in touch with these boys, you know. Like, I'd still, you know, I'd have a beer with them here and yeah, there. And so, you know, it, that was, you know, that was pretty tough. I, I, you know, look, I had a tear, I, to be quite honest, I had a tear. My mum and dad were there. I had family there. I had uncles there and... You know, um, I've never been, you know, um, I've always considered myself an Australian, so I wasn't, you know, yeah, but, yeah. you know, for me, it was that boyhood thing. I could see what it meant to the Macedonian community to do that. Um, being of Macedonian origin, you know, it was, it was you know, the flavour of the day, so, so to speak. <laughs> it was great. You know, I could see the smile on my dad's face. My uncle was around his mates going, look, that's my nephew type of thing and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, look, 
all that was good. That whole yeah. feeling was good. And it was good to, to get them onto that trajectory to move forward and, you know, their uh, success. But I think one of the things I said to uh, Pete at the time, my big thing was you need to get rid of this contingent from Sydney. You need to start looking at locals. And for a while there now, you can see they're bringing through kids and they're doing yeah, that they're stuff. Used, and look, it's got nothing to do with me. But, you know, it, it, I think that might have opened their eyes to say, look, we can't just keep, um, you know, doing that and sustaining that, you know. Uh, because they did have good young kids. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And they've been super strong in that area. Yeah. So you did nothing in 2013? No, I, I just, you know, at the end of that, look, I, I got asked to stay on at Wollongong United. And, you know, I just didn't think that was the right fit for me um, at the end of the day. And, look, I wanted to further work. I was At the time, I think I was going for a, a promotion at work and there's going to be some study involved. So, again, there was some indecision around what was going to happen with my work life. And I was, um, you know, looking at getting a, a promotion that would have meant going back to Sydney. So then that would have been a bit of a hard basket. And then to me, I think I did what I came there to do. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't think I'd, I'd have the energy to do what they wanted me to do moving forward. Um, and look, it was just, it was okay. I, I just moved on. And 2014, yeah, you were back at the White Eagles. How did that come about? Yeah. Again, it was just, you know, I think they'd gone through about three or four coaches um, over that period. And just the whole culture that we sort of built, um, it was, was really slipping away. And I've been, you know, always in touch with them. And I remember getting uh, together, I think it was with Dougie at the time. We had a new president and we got together at the Workers Club. And, uh, you know, it was like, well, you know, can you come back with, we want you to come back. I mean, watch them at a game and something like that. It was just some prelim discussions. If we asked yeah. you back, would you come back? Now, look, I've always got a soft spot for them. They gave me my opportunity. So I never wanted to see them go bad or, or yeah, another yeah. coach go bad or anything like that, you know. And I thought, and I looked at their roster, I thought, you know, well, we could probably stop this ship from sinking. And, yeah. um, and that was my intention to do that, you know. And, and again, it wasn't a long-term thing for me. It was more, I just wanted to... Um, get back and, 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 and reset them. And that's what I did, I think, for about it, you know, the next couple of years and then pass them on to, to, to Jeff. And uh, was that 2014 year, uh, Dave Grovac's last, last year as yeah, well? So yeah. uh, he'd been part of your coaching journey for a long period of time and, and he spoke, uh, you know, uh, favourably of you and, and had a lot of respect and uh, admiration for you. So... Uh, that must have meant a little bit as well for yourself to be there when, you know, he sort of put on the boots for the last time as well. Yeah, it was. I mean, look, and, and, and Davey was, um, you know, he started, his body started, um, you know, failing him a lot more and you could see the frustration, um, you know, and, and again, from a coaching point of view, it was a first for me to see a guy that you spent a lot of time with, a talented player, going through that mental part as well as that physical part and, you know, You've got to tread carefully around these players because yeah. emotions run high. Um, and you look, he was a stalwart for the club. I mean, you know, I built teams around him, um, you know, in terms of what he could do and he understood what I wanted from him. So, yeah, it was good. And I kept him close. I mean, the next year he was my assistant coach. You know, I'd, I'd, I wanted to keep him there and to, you know, instill some of the stuff that we'd, he'd brought to the teams that I'd coached previously to the new generation. Yep. So, yeah, it was tough. And, you know, the following year, Chrissy Smith was the same. He was... He's, he's towards the end of his career and, you know, was struggling with injuries and stuff. And it's hard, you know, these guys that you admire, admire and coached and saw the best of them. Yeah, that's right. To then try and 
you know they still want to play, but as a coach, you know that they're maybe not up to it this week, and you might have to sit them on the bench or or whatever. So yeah, look, it was tough. It was tough, but look, he deserved all the credit that he got. Um, I think he could have gone to any other club he wanted to for you know a lot more money than yeah, the White Eagles were offering him, and he's and he stayed loyal, which you don't get much of these days. And um, you know he deserved to go out in a good way. I'm, I'm just sorry we couldn't win a grand final for him, but he he did have some success with his boyhood club, so. You had a couple of years, and it was around 15 that you then finished up with White Eagles, and then uh, Jeff took over. Was that a pretty uh, easy thing with what you'd done with the club and mm. where you were in your life to say, look, no dramas? Yeah. Um, yeah. And they were comfortable with what you did. So yeah. uh, you must be pretty proud of, of what you've given to that club because from what we've talked about here today, the insight for me was the, the personal relationships that you had mm. I guess coming from the second tier, which I've mm. been in, where mm. there's no money or not much, mm. uh, you don't get to see Premier League clubs. Uh, you think that they're just all getting paid a lot of money and mm. they're not having the same sort of um, meaningful friendships that you are. It's more financial transaction. Mm. But at Albion Park White Eagles, you know, blokes are coming over your house. Mm. Some are staying here. Mm. You based on where you were in your life, you were drinking with them, you were mm. socialising. Mm. It must be amazing to have that period where you had success, but you developed these friendships as well. Yeah, I think that's part of being a good, successful club. Look, I mean, 2015 for me, we I sort of achieved the brief that I wanted to is get the club back in the semi-finals, which we did. Um, you know, we had a couple of signings there, which, you know, didn't work out. But, you know, we still, the boys... Probably could have done a lot better. Injuries got us towards the end. But, you know, we had a good time again. Um, we brought the good times back. The, the sort of culture and the happiness was back around the place. And we got them back to semi-finals after some lean years and, and coaches missing. And the Jeff Hallport story is funny. A funny one. Obviously, Jeff and I had played together. Uh, I bumped into him at Albion Park Mitsubishi. I was getting my car service. I was picking it up after work. And there's Jeff in the waiting area. So we started chatting. Hey, Jeff, how are you? A long time, this and that. He said, yeah, I've been coaching at the Wolves. What are you up to? You still Albion Park? I said, actually... I was just told him I'm finishing up after this year. I said, why don't you go and do it? And he said, oh, I'm going to talk to Tarawana. I said, don't talk to Tarawana. <laughs> Let me speak to Dougie and Goran, and we're going to have an interview with you. So I was inter- I played a big part yeah. in getting Jeff over. I thought, well, this guy's someone who's an Albion Park guy. I know what type of person he is. I-, I think he'd be a good fit for the club, right? So I've got on the phone with Dougie straight away. as I picked up my car. I said, oh, I've got a coach for us. He goes, who? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I said, oh, Jeff Fourport. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, good. You know, so he's, Tarawana, I'm going to get him if you don't. So I think within 48 hours, we had him at Dougie's place and talked to him about it. And I told him about the team. I said, look, you've got the, a nucleus again. You need to add. And, and these are the areas you need to strengthen. I think, you know, defensively, we needed, you know, a good creative midfielder. We ended up getting showy and the rest was history, right? Yeah. The team were, was set up to be in that sort of... Um, higher achieving him and he added the rest of it and he did his and magic his with his coaching and then obviously though you know that's where the you know, success come I mean there wasn't a lot of the players that I had from the previous year but he kept a nucleus of that so and again the place was happy it was in that trajectory moving forward so um, you know and that, that to me is no better feeling you know it didn't matter I was at the grand final with my daughter and she still remembers the ball bouncing and hitting her in their head but I was at the grand final as a spectator cheering them on <laughs> I was with them on Mad Monday organised for them to, you know I was working at a beer company and organised for them to stop at a couple of pubs and get on the drink and I stopped and had a few beers and celebrated with them um, for me Mad Mondays were a 
culmination of a big year. Yeah, it was old school. We did a lot with the White Eagles, had a lot of good times, ranked with a lot of teams. Um, you know, but it was just, tr- for me, it was good to see the club because they worked so hard to be where they're supposed to be. And, 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 and to your point, the, the fallacy that people just get paid as transactional, the White Eagles were, were never that. Yeah, you know, they, they put out so much food and barbecues for guys at the drop of a hat. You know, if you needed money, if you genuinely needed money, any reason, if you hadn't earned it yet, they'd, they'd look after you. I remember there's guys that had knee reconstructions, couldn't afford it, and, and sponsors would pay for it. And the guys would pay them back. You know, um, they really looked after you as their own. Um, there was, you know, nothing that was, was a problem. They kitted you out, you know, Adidas. I mean, it, as a player, like, you know, wow. You know, all these yeah, are Adidas impressive. here. And it's impressive, right? You feel like a yeah, footballer. Yeah, you do. So to me, they did everything right. They deserve to be where they are. And, you know, they, they, they've continued with it. You know, they've got that recipe. They've got that formula. And, you know, good on them. You know, it, it's... It's a club, it's a family environment, it's a community club, and that's that's one thing that, you know, I enjoyed in my coaching career, being a part of clubs like that. And uh, in the last couple of years, although COVID's affected it, um, you, they'd spent a couple of years away from the game, but 2020-21, COVID affected, but you'd put your hand up to to come back to Rurilla Wanderers, and um, yeah, like you said, it, at the start of this interview, full cycle, but uh, what, what brought about that change? Because they, I guess... Um, not disparaging them as a club, they're a great club, but they'd been sort of down a little bit, sort mm. of mid-table compared to where they had been. Yeah. So what made you take up the role there? Oh, it's, it's a funny one, actually. I, I was on a bike ride one day and I drove, rode past, I was riding down to the beach and I rode past um, King Mickey and I pulled in, um, it was before COVID sort of stopped it and I watched the game and Scott Fowler would play with at Shell Harbour and at Rural Pub, so in between me and coach, we ended up playing at Rural Pub and yep. got back out the striker <laughs> and played in goals in the grand final again um, and, and won it with Rural Pub and a few of the boys have played with at Shell Harbour, you know, like back in the day we, you know, I was player coach but there's no coaching at, at, at pub level, it's just, you know, consuming and playing. So um, Scott had sung and played there and said, look, you know, would you ever coach? And he said, I wouldn't mind helping you. He said, I want to you know, do first grade. And it was more just one of those throwaway comments. And, and then you know, I got a phone call when their coach told them he's not going to coach for, for this season. They were on the lookout. And Scott said, well, look, on the lookout for a new coach, would you be keen to... I said, look, I'm keen to help you. I don't want to be the head coach. Yeah. I'm, I'm keen to sort of help develop the next generation or help you become a, a coach. And... Yeah, it's, it, it came down, you know, we, I did a few sessions and blah, 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 and, and sort of, and Scott just said to me politely, he said, look, I think, you know, you need to take the helm and I can learn off you. And, you know, it's worked out that way. And, you know, now, you know, fully immersed in the Rural Wanderers culture and trying to, <laughs> and having known the club, and again, I, I take that um, sympathetic view. I can see that, you know, we haven't got the funds to compete with some of the, the clubs that are above us in, in the area. Um, we've lost a generation of players um, to other clubs. You know, yeah. when, when I look around all the ex Rural Wanderer juniors playing in Premier League today, if we could have a very good team, we'll probably, you know, be in that top four. Yeah, super competitive. All right, so why have they left? You know, um, was it money? Was it there was no team to come to here? And I think they're, they're a club that were probably victims of their own success where they had a lot of good years under Varney, yep. but really probably didn't bring through the young generation to be the next successful team. Yep. So, you know, unfortunately, those kids have left to play at other clubs and have found new homes. So my aim is to try and get them back um, and, and build a club within and, and not have to throw money. And, and, and look, now it's become a, a bit of a project. And obviously, um, you know, King Mick is a beautiful surface when we can yeah. get on it to play on. Um, 
you know, I remember back in the day looking at, they played Tarawana there in one game. I remember this game, they played Tarawana and Paul Kimler. And there must have been, that goal, that car park area was full of people. Yep. You know, behind the goals and all around that grandstand. There must have been 2,000 people there, you know, and the streets were full, you know. And to me, it's, Crazy. you're never going to get that. It's just no. trying to, but I'm talking to the boys, I'm, I'm, I've brought some people that, an 800 grain um, player for Willow Wanderers, Tom Cabanas. I brought him back to talk to some of the new players, hear about what the club's about, you know, um, where they used to get change at the back <laughs> at someone's house in their garage, and talk to them about the good times at the club. So, yeah, look, Willow's. Um, I never thought I'd get back into coaching. Uh, my life has changed. Um, I'm a stay at home dad now. I've finished, I'm sort of um, retired now, I finished work a few years ago. I, um, you know, focus more on um, my, my family now. My son um, has autism or he's autistic uh, and he's, um, you know, he's, he's great and I work with him a lot. And now, you know, I've got a different passion. It's, you know, family. I want my family to experience yeah. what I experienced as a kid, community, football. And, you know, I want to do some work with the disabled um, community as well around football and, and make football fun for them and, and get them involved. So the passion's a little bit different, um, although it might be a bit same. I'm still passionate on the sideline, um, but... You know, it's just trying to... I've had the experience of, I think, seeing clubs that are, whether, you know, at their bottom and trying to yeah. get them up, up to, you know, their heights. It's not necessarily mean um, Rulers going to be in the Premier League, but, you know, hopefully one day they can get there, but to be sustainable like Alvin Park have been, you know. And that's probably my wish for Rulers. But, look, Rulers is a good thing, full circle. It's great. It's red and white. It's my Liverpool colours. So <laughs> I'm happy about that, you know. <laughs> And Steve, apart from Scott Fowler, uh, Joe Marino was a, another important factor in you coming back to Rurilla Wanderers. Can you tell me a bit about Joe? Yeah, oh, Joe. I've known Joe for a long time. He's been involved in the game as a coach um, on the committee side. Uh, Joe's tried for a number of years when I was coaching at Albion Park and uh, and when I wasn't coaching to get me over to Rurilla. And I mean, look, you know, he used to we, we lost him uh, recently and. Uh, um, you know, coincides with the Memorial Day we're having on our last game of the season this year for him. Uh, he's a great man, great ruler man, coached the club, um, you know, president, secretary, life member, you name it, he did a lot of, lot of stuff at the club. But every time I caught up with him, he's really passionate about ruler and passionate about local football and young players. And it was, um, you know, it was just something I thought, I'd, you know, one day I'd like, like to do that with him and, and work with him. And unfortunately, you know, uh, he, he's not with us anymore, but uh, have a bit of pleasure knowing that he, he knew that I, you know, was about to take up the reins there at Worla. So, um, yeah, it's kind of uh, kind of special to me as well. So, uh, we carry spirit with him all the time. Um, you know, I'm down at the ground like he used to be, coaching and doing <laughs> doing work at the ground. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess there's a bit of a Joe spirit in all of us at the moment. So, um, which is great, you know. Um, you know, sad loss to the club, but great um, that, you know, other people have come in and, and people, you know, like uh, one of his, his godsons are helping out and hasn't been involved in the football for a very long time. So it's good to see some new faces there. Well, I'm sure uh, Joe's looking down upon King Mickey and uh, he's got a, a brilliant and bright smile on his face because, uh, you know, like you said, your story talks full circle and, and important people like Joe, um, they're, they're a credit to the football community. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When you look back, uh, you've done so much as a as a player um, and more so as a coach. Um, what do you look back on over over this over this period of time? Uh, I guess a bit of the seventies, the eighties, nineties, two thousands, and 
the teens and now into the next decade, you've done quite a bit. What sticks in your memory, um, broadly speaking, in, in Illawarra football? Oh, look, I think um, the amount of quality and the talent that's in Illawarra football um, sticks out in my mind. And, and I've played with a lot of players in my time and coached a lot of players that if only they realised how good they were and actually put the effort in, that they could have achieved a lot more. Mm. And whether or not they didn't want to or not, it's up, you know, personally, it's up to them. But I think one thing you find in this area, we have got a lot of talent and it's probably shown over the years that we have been able to bring players into the highest level. But, um, you know, I think, you know, we've still got a long way to go to be, to have that proper pathway into the higher leagues. You know, uh, I remember being asked a question in 2007 by the then, you know, FSC committee, what would, you know, what would you do? And I think the Wolves debate was up around the time. They weren't owned by anyone. I said, you know, I really think our Illawarra team should be the Wolves. And I think we need to take a leaf out of, you know, some of the other codes in the area, like rugby league, to how we can make the Wolves as our Illawarra team and showcase our best coaches and players to the league. Yep. And then, you know, I don't know, dual register. You know, rugby league do that. If you drop from the team, you can go back to your home yeah, club well. and all that stuff. So I think this area is a, a rich nursery. I think... Um, we just need to, you know, move forward and, and need to look at things from a different lens, um, you know, and how we can bring this game more forward. I think what we have lost is a lot of publicity from the Mercury point of, point of view, oh, you know, uh, yeah. you know, publications and stuff. And unless clubs are promoting themselves, and everyone's got a Facebook site and everyone's on phones. But you know, how do how does the general public know about us if, uh, about football if they're not involved with the club? How do they know there's a game on the weekend unless they drive past the ground? You know, I know there might be a little bit in the in the paper, but you know, it's that whole during the week that build up of yeah, that's hey, right. this is the match of the round playing this weekend. Hey, these two teams, third and fourth, are playing this week. Here's a story on this coach. Oh, this guy's a mechanic during the day. I think the romance, or you know, for 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 a word of of football and having that sort of build up for the week, I, I find that's you know that's missing. missing. You know. Um, yes, we're still out there playing, and yes, you know, um, you know, the systems and the style of football is different. I think we've lost our strikers from the old days. You know, um, these days you haven't got your two strikers. You know, it's more that you know four-three-three system yeah. and and stuff like that. So you can see the evolution of the younger generation. Um, probably aren't as some of them probably can't play a lot of different positions. You know, where in the old days, you know, I remember a coach saying to me, "Son." Um, you know, when I, I was a striker when I first started, but the first grade coach needed a right fullback, and I put my hand up and I played right fullback. So, you know, um, those things have changed. Yeah. You know, but look, you know, football still, it's still a passionate game. We've lost a lot of supporters, that older ethnic and, and Anglo and, and, and Australian generation that used to come to the game and help out. They're obviously, you know, a lot of passed on and are too old to make that. And, um, you know, we spoke about it earlier, probably that, that generation that should be there. Uh, probably still applying their trading the masters and <laughs> trying to relive their their youth like we all did but um yeah I, I i think our game can be a lot bigger here and um you know we just need all to you know get our collective heads together to make it better but um you know hopefully this rain stops and we can <laughs> have a proper season and no covid but um look football's good we've got a good nursery here you know that's 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 what i think uh, in my time in terms of over the years, you've put in your own time and sacrificed mm -hmm. a lot, but there's been a lot of other people that have supported you. Do you want to talk a little bit about who supported you over your time as a player and as a coach? Yeah, oh, 
you know, obviously family, um, you know, mum and dad, even when I wasn't in my own place, I think when, you know, the, the, the year we won conference league, I mean, David Petrick and a lot of the boys became, um, you know, they slept over on a Friday night. So I can get them to a game on time and all that stuff and, um, you know, semi-final times. So they became a part of the household. You know, mum and dad built a relationship. And so, you know, for them to open their house and, you know, let these yeah. strangers, you know, sleep, they were, they were, they were good lads. Um, you know, mum and dad, yeah, look, uh, you know, coaches, Dick Evans from a young a young boy, you know, bringing uh, an inspiration. But, you know, look, uh, the wider goes a, a lot too. You know, guys like Michael Gravick, Mick Pradanovic, Rad Maravic, those boys... You know, they could have sacked me at any time they wanted to. You know, I was a young coach without a lot of experience, but they stuck by me, they believed in me, you know, and, and I like to think that I repaid them, um, you know, with what I'd done. And, you know, and then, you know, you look at guys like Dougie, you know, we've always remained friends and he's always been supportive of me, Frankie Zamets. Uh, look, you know, players, you know, um, he, Mitchell Blows was good to me, um, you know, back in the day with bringing players and, and, and supporting me as a coach and telling players that I knew how to coach and all that stuff. So, you know, players always ask around and stuff like that. So, you know, give me good good rapport. It was, um, you know, those people. But then, you know, in the later part, and then now especially, you know, my girlfriend and my wife at the yeah. time, giving me the confidence of, of saying that you can do this and you should give yourself more credit. And, you um, you know, spurring me on. So, you know, she's been great. And now my my daughter, who's um, tech savvy, keeps texting me. She texted me yesterday or FaceTime me saying, well done, Dad, about time he's won and all that <laughs> stuff. And she's got the jersey and she says, you need to train them harder, Dad. They've got to win. So, you know, there's a lot of people. I probably missed out on some names, yeah. but, um, you know, I could, I could go on for, for days thanking people. But, yeah. So they've all played a part. And to my teams, to my players, I... They're the ones I probably want to thank the most because you don't have to put up with my, with me, my voice, with my you know yelling sometimes, with my unorthodox way of coaching at times, with my you know quirkiness and all that stuff. But you know they respected me, and, and for a lot of them I was a similar age to them and, and all that stuff. And I, I've got to give him credit. And a lot of them are still friends of mine. You know, guys, guys like Alan Fina. You know, I coached him for a year, and I remember he wasn't the fittest guy. He always used to well, get upset at me pushing him, but we're still friends. So to me, it's that you know you, you continue these friendships and 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 um, and that's that's the memories that I have from that. Yeah, yeah and that's beautiful. Uh, in terms of the future, I know you're, you're definitely focused on on the Wanderers at this point in time. Mm. But uh, what do you see for yourself from a footballing perspective in the future? Oh, look, I probably think um, not too much more on the sideline of the dugout. I think you know it's um, it's a generational thing. The coaches and all the coaches. I try to think. I can stay relevant enough, but, you know, um, for me, I'd want to help some other coaches aspire to be first grade coaches. Yep. And, and and that'll give me a satisfaction to see them do well and just be behind the scenes in whatever I can do to help a club rise and thrive. So, you know, chasing sponsorships to, to you know, helping coaches and, and then going out and helping the junior coaches. I think that's something that we don't do well in the Illawarra. Yeah, and definitely. I think, you know, there's an opportunity to pass on some knowledge to our, you know, junior coaches, whatever that is and whatever that can help them with, um, you know, free knowledge, not for them to go and have to pay for anything, um, which might hopefully help bring another kid coming through and, and showing them the right way um, to play. Not that I know the right way, but, you know, a, a better way or a different way to do it. So, yeah, I can see myself doing that um, and hang around soccer. Look, as long as my family wants me to hang around and they enjoy that aspect, um, you know, I'll, I'll be there. 
Well, I think uh, the area uh, needs you to stick around, and and after after these couple of hours, I, I definitely think you should as well. And and I sincerely appreciate. I've been waiting a long time to to chat to you for for various reasons, and um, I've definitely been uh, fulfilled and and excited by this interview. So thank you very much, Steve, for allowing me into your home, um, giving me up your valuable time, um, and and going through your brilliant journey. It's been immense, and and I really appreciate it. Thanks, Travis, and I'm really humbled that you could even uh, have me on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I really thank you, and thank you for the great work that you're doing out there for the football community. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks, Cheers, mate. mate. Good on you. Thank you. Thanks again for listening and downloading episode 70. It is sincerely valued. Once again, thank you to Steve for the time he spent recounting his journey in the game and for allowing me into his home. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.